This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash G-O-T for your free audiobook download. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create beautiful websites, blogs, or online stores for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com and enter offer code GOT at checkout to get 10% off. Welcome to Game of Thrones Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 5, entitled Kill the Boy. We all know what that's about. Maester Eamon. It's all about killing boys. Yep. Boy killer. Yep. So that the man can flourish. Uh, what do you think of this episode, Aaron? Uh, you know, it... I, it just depends on how the rest of the season goes. If this is the one <laughs> okay. season where it's like, okay... We are trying to just get the best parts of these books that are, are kind of like a slower. I mean, from a book reader perspective, the the five, last two books we got, Feast for Crows and Dance of Dragons, is arguably 2,000 pages of set piece moving <laughs> for the climax of the series, right? Okay, and it's, yeah. it can be tedious. from So I can see that these guys who have had so many great moments to work with, the death of Ned, the Battle of Blackwater, the Red Wedding, the Purple Wedding, yeah. you know, the Viper in the Mountain, all this stuff, they get to these, it's like, oh, Christ. <laughs> what uh, are we going to do? Sansa's looking at a tower for 10 minutes. So, yeah, so if, if this is like the one episode that's kind of like super rushed and fast forward and doesn't really make sense and maybe the characters' motivations weren't as carefully laid out as they could be and it's just a rough... You know, they don't quite have the, the clutch shifted and the gears are grinded. And then we can just move on with, with uh, you know, a thrilling back half. I, I'm not going to be too upset. If this is a symptom of what one of the feedbackers mentioned, like the bullet point syndrome. Like, they're now getting away from the thousand-page books. And now they're working on, like, a three-page bullet point thing that that, that George yeah. has given him. He whipped up a PowerPoint and was like, okay, guys, this is where I think it's going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slide one, dragon. Right. Slide two, <laughs> castle attack. Slide three, question, question, question. <laughs> no, I so I guess we'll, time will tell. Um, yeah. But there was some clunky, clunky shit going on, especially with Daenerys. And on second and subsequent viewings, I started seeing a little bit of what I think they were trying to do stylo- stylistically and thematically. Hmm, okay. Um, you know... Contra- comparing and contrasting Jon Snow's advice to trust your gut with Danny's advice yes. to trust your gut and and questioning which one is trust, you know, which one's truthier, which one's guttier. It's making the right decision. Which you know? one's making the right decisions. Some of that works better. Um, so you can actually see, it's like, well, Danny's making terrible decisions because she, when the chips are down, decided not to trust her gut. Mm-hmm. Or maybe these are going to be really savvy decisions, or we're to take them as savvy decisions, but you, you know it was just so rapidly with that we got here that they didn't have time to have that all sink in or make it seem natural. You know, sure. I, I, I don't it, know if you listen to our instant cast, we both kind of shit all over that uh, mm-hmm. that scene with Danny and her decision to marry his daughter and all this stuff. Sure. So uh, I've watched it again and I've thought about it, and I think it makes a little more sense than we were giving it credit for. 
after having just seen the episode. That, I mean, that might be true, but I uh, still have very strong objections to okay. this course of strategy for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's. It may not work out how she wants it to, mm-hmm. but I think she has a strategy going in, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, who who made this episode? This is directed by Jeremy Podeswar, who was hmm. the director of television shows such as Six Feet Under, Nip Tuck, over on FX, The Tudors, Queer as Folk, and the HBO World War II miniseries The Pacific. He's actually directing 505 and 506 next week's episode as well. They're working as a unit, and so is Brian Cogman, who's one of the more popular writers of uh, Game of Thrones, it seems to be. He directed last season's Oath Keeper and The Laws of Gods and Men, which had that just terrific courtroom sequence Speech, of Tyrion. Yeah. Just lots of good stuff of Tyrion in it. Mm-hmm. And he is joining Jeremy over the next two, uh, this this episode next, to tag team on the writing. So okay, it's going to be uh, next week's segment will be the exact same. <laughs> it's Jeremy <laughs> and Brian holding it down. Cool. Uh, let's get into the recap. Before we do, oh. uh, I got a lot of people sending me this in feedback, and I actually read it because I'm a, no, I'm a legitimate fan of Alan Sepinwall's work. He did an interview because we had talked last week about what's the rhyme and reason for the different way they do the map and why the map moves on yeah. and why they don't change. Hmm. And, you know, once we finally got to Dorn, we got Dorn with no Dorn this week. Yeah, it was, it's weird. <laughs> so uh, he he sent out an email to the production crew that's responsible for that. And they it's essentially a time and expense because every time they have to re-render that or resequence it, it costs now. You're getting the same face that I was making. I know how this shit works. Yes, you can. You can make that modular. Yes, and literally spend two, what two hours to render out. I would think so. A, a resequenced version of that. I did not. No, so I did not buy. I did not find the argument persuasive that this essentially. Well, it's all pre-rendered, and now it might very well take a week of render farm to to make that change. But in this show's budget, that's got to be like a, a drop in a bucket. You know, to a, a yeah. serious. So I wonder about the flyover stuff. Like, if I guess they would have to have pre-rendered stuff for like, uh, we're going to go from Dorn to Marine. Well, the time. other difficulty, oh, Dorn's not in this one. We got to go from King's Landing to Marine. Oh the, no. The other difficulty is they have to fit it within the same musical cues. That's true. Now that is, but there's persuasive. a lot of looping you can do Again, there. I, yeah. Like, I, being a very technical person, I understand how some of these things could be done in ways that would make that work. It's also possible that they're just doing this really inefficiently, that maybe they are... <laughs> I, I want to doubt that. Like given... hand animating, like instead of just rendering the world and just dragging the camera around, maybe they're actually hand animating, you know, frame by frame, keyframe, mm. and uh, These people are professionals. That. I can't imagine that they yeah. haven't thought of something that we're thinking of right now. Sure. No. So there must be some other factor in it that we just don't see... It could be like, let's say it'd be 1% of their budget, which I think would be overstating it. But that's 1% that maybe they could hire a couple dozen more extras at King's Landing Mm. to make, uh, you know, the High Septon's shame walk go down a little easier. So who knows? Like, 
And if you're talking about balancing budgets and that kind of scale, I'm not going to critic. But some of this, the reasons they gave, I was like, eh, eh, don't know about that. Okay. Well, I understand, like, new locations are probably a bitch. Yeah. You got to have a designer. You got to have an animator. And it's a particular style. So you can't just, like, throw, you know billy who's who's animated the horse on toy story down on that maybe i don't know but uh yeah i but but just changing them so that it doesn't seem like they're as confusing and because i at this point the way they've got now which is the ground the grand clockwise tour around westeros and essos i think it's actually more confusing because the what what's crucial is yeah. you lose the northwest orientation when they do that flip over into the Gulf of Grief, and it's fucked from yeah. there on. We so we watched this episode together yeah. yesterday, and at the end of it, I was like, "Where where is Drogon going?" It's like he's flying over Valeria. Where is that in relation to like Marine? Where is that mm-hmm. in relation to King's Landing? All this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you showed me the map, and I had no freaking clue right. where stuff was. I thought Pentos was where Bravos is. Right. I thought like just everything was completely swapped around in sure. my mind, given their weird camera stuff yeah. in the intro. Yeah, and so there are a lot of map resources, obviously. I got sent a lot from last the, the, the last time we talked about this, uh, so it's not hard. And it, sure. it's pretty spoiler-free if you it's... Google map of Planetos or map of Westeros and Essos. You can, you can find... Uh, you know, some pretty nice antique looking maps that'll just give you the locations sure, of everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay. there you go. All right, let's get into the recap, please. We start off with Sandy watching Grey Worm as he recovers, and we see Danny looking at the corpse of Barristan. Kind of uh, two parallel scenes here. One is dead, and one is potentially dying. We don't know. He's mostly he's, dead. <laughs> he's laying there on the bed. Uh, his dark comes in, and Danny decides, you know what? This didn't work. I'm going to round up all the great leaders and kill them like I should have done before, including Hisdar. Sure. Uh, anything you want to say about this? Are you sad that Barristan's dead? Of course. Okay. Um, you know, it was kind of the ending spoiled for me because I thought, like a lot of people said, and, you know, there's a lot of people got some dry pie this week because they made predictions about Barristan being alive based on the fact that the harpy got him for the kill shot. The slit the throat, you're definitely, you're dead. You're Catelyn Stark, you're dead. And, and he was saved. And he was saved by Grey Worm. Uh-huh. Now, you and I are like, but he's still a super old man, and these are deep puncture wounds, and this is, you know, there's no penicillin. Sure. There's no valerian cillin or there's, anything there's like that. There's black magic, but I don't know that's, anybody that's in right. Marine who does that. That's so. right. Um, and you have to pay life for life, so someone have to die anyway. But, yeah. So... It's but still, uh, there was a little glimmer of like, well, maybe he'll just be grievously injured and he'll just be a bedridden uh, advisor role, and who knows. But then I read an interview with the actor, and he's like, "Nope, I'm dead." Kind of bummed about it too. <laughs> I thought this was the season of Barristan. I thought, see, you know, it's like, oh, finally, I've been kind of skulking in shadows, and I squashed a bug, and I threw down a sword at some punk ass kid. Now oh, it's going to get you're going to see Barristan the diplomat, Barristan the bureaucrat, Barristan. <laughs> Nope. The Renaissance man that is Barristan. <laughs> you got a little bit of Barristan the Bold, which was yep. good. That's 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 peak Barristan, but then it was all over, man. Sorry yeah. about it, Ian. It's sad. I, I kind of liked him. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't view him as a major player over there. Uh, he just said a couple words every once in a while. And it did more to confuse Danny, it appears, than right, to actually advise her. That's the first of my many problems, is that... You know, and 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 that's the other thing is I'm starting to wonder like what are they doing with Danny because it's in in the books as it is right now in the series it's just as plausible for Danny to be the eventual big villain 
you know, because okay. because you've got the fire and the blood, hmm. the madness that runs, and you're I think you're intended to constantly kind of be on the edge of is she going to be the good triumphant queen that that rids the world of so much evil, or is she going to give in to her fire and blood? Instance? Interesting. I've I've never gotten that from the show. I've I've been looking at it as here's Danny's rise to power. Here is Danny figuring herself out and understanding how to lead and becoming that good leader that everybody wants. But that's just it. Like, I, but I've never seen the tinge of like she's on the edge of going evil. Not even when they when she you know nailed to crosses the the masters no i viewed that more as righteous justice because they had done the same thing yeah but i think that's one of the interesting things and again i'm not sure if this is intentional but this is something that's been going through my mind is it do the ends i mean what the hell is martin getting at with this series like is this going to be something that's just bleak where the where good just doesn't triumph over evil the best you can do is to you know resist the slide down to hell as much as you can. Is this going to be like the wire where it's a shit show. You're never going to clean up the shit show, but you can make an individual impact in the lives of your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers. Like we can do it as small villages working together, but we are never going to like be able to solve all these society. Or is it going to be a more uplifting, you know, triumph of, of, of good versus evil. And honestly, I don't know. I don't know which yeah. we're, we're in for, and I could buy either 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 of them. And I thought this you. Danny, building Danny up to be the savior and have her end up being a tyrant, or John, yeah. you know, be corrupted by the influences all and and the the moral compromises he has to make bit by bit. I think that's one of the interesting things, especially with Martin being kind of dark. Like I, you know, a happy, you know, supposedly the last book's supposed to be called A Dream of Spring. Which sounds optimistic, but if it's just a but dream, if you view exa- if you view it as a very starkly, pardon the pun, cold, real, like you know, cynical way, a dream of spring is not an optimistic title. It doesn't have to be, no. So, but that's again, as I feel like that's a lot of this is intentional. Like you don't pl- you don't pick that name out of nowhere. Because it can be read as like, oh, it's the dream of spring, or it's like, yeah, the dream of spring. <laughs> sure. All right, let's move on. Danny takes the leaders of into her dragon chamber, and one of them is burned and eaten, and then she takes the others back for later consumption, back to the dungeons. Which I'm going to resume my monologue, because this reminded me, okay. the whole reason I started that, before I realized we didn't have any common ground with this, you know, is Danny the devil or the angel, is that I think it's interesting that this character, this heroic character, her mentor who preached justice and mercy dies, and the yeah. first thing she does is round up all her enemies and feed one to her dragon. There is exhibit B of Danny, like, is she going to be a Dario-type person, or is she going to be a Barristan-type person? Well, it could be as simple as she needs these people around her, advising her. And maybe this is some bad advice she gets from Miss Sandy to just trust your gut later on. I was going to get to there, too. It's like, should we be like, yes, trust your gut, you're a good person, or no, no, you need need Barristan back, or she she needs Tyrion. Yeah, it's... It's rough, right? I mean, she's got the Sons of the Harpy out there doing, working against her because of the stand, what I view as a just stand against slavery that she's taken. Um, You know, there can be two responses to that. One is what she does, which is uh, start to kill some some of the leaders and try and just quash that with Mm -hmm. fear Mm -hmm. uh, and intimidation. And it doesn't 
it doesn't seem like that is the choice she's making at the end of this. Sure. She's, she's moving on from that. Yeah. So that's good to see. <laughs> I hope that keeps up. Uh, anyway, Sam is up at the well, wall. Can, the other thing is I want to yeah. say is like, the, the, again, these dragons look amazing. I was kind of put off by the scene and, you know, how fitting it was to the memory of Barristan, but it was pretty fucking epic. You were put off by the scene? Yeah, I did. Like I way. said, I, you know, I, if Barristan is to you, die. You just didn't like that. If Barristan, Barristan was to die in a selfless mercy. act of, of, yeah. of street justice that Danny chose to honor his memory in this way. That's the thing that, yeah, like, he wouldn't it, want his death to drive. I'm not saying it's bad from, like, this is, I'm just saying that, like, I personally didn't like seeing Danny do this. Sure. There's a difference between seeing something I don't like well executed, and these dragons are just amazing. They are. Like, they're really cool. And when they rip that guy apart, man. And, uh, and you know, these are still bitty dragons. Like, yeah. the, the, I forget the dream of spring, the dream of dragons. Like, <laughs> you got to think that season six or seven, when people are presumably mm-hmm. going to be riding these things in the battle, it's going to be awe inspiring. I, I hope so. I do yeah. too. <laughs> So we go up to the wall, and Sam is reading a message to Maester Eamon. Um, John comes in and, and asks Eamon for some advice, and Eamon tells him, do whatever you want to do. you got to do something, do it. You're, you're clearly not here to ask for advice. You're clearly here to ask for permission. Yeah. Why are you doing that? Yeah. Just go kill the boy, be the man. I'm not Lord Commander. I'm 100 years old. Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need permission anymore, right? That's That's his prerogative. And it looked like... Barristan's talk, or sorry, not Barristan, uh, Davos talk about, uh, you know, doing what he's got to do, like leading these people in a different way than maybe he interpreted his oath before Mm -hmm. was something that John took to heart Hmm. because he's, he's out there now doing that, doing exactly what he needed to do there. Yeah. And like, I, you know, this isn't like, I don't think this is Ammon just being like hands off, whatever. I don't care. It's like, I know who you are. I've seen your quality. So just do it. Like y- yeah. you wouldn't say that to Joffrey. <laughs> oh God, no, <laughs> no, you would, he would not. just beat Joffrey with a stick for several days uh, before he even began to say any kind of counsel. Yeah. It's like, this is what, no, I need to undo. <laughs> this is what the, happened. This is Joffrey. <laughs> yes. You need 77 hours of stick beating. Yeah. Then I can start to work with you. But John, it's like, no, he's, uh his heart's in the right place exactly and and he just doesn't feel like a leader yet um well, but he's got to get into that role it is so interesting about john and danny is there's so many interesting parallels about you know uh you know she wasn't a bastard but she was this you know uh sister of this beggar king who lechd on her and abused her and kept her down mentally and john grew up with like all that culturally happened to him in in Winterfell, he was this bastard, and the best he could aspire to is a life at this monastic, rapist murder colony called the Wall, you know, and to be a yeah. ranger. Like, that's the best he could do. And they're both very young, and they're both very inexperienced, but they've had to learn a lot of tough lessons. It's mm-hmm. it's really – then that's the thing I think they're really succeeding at is setting these up as some kind of parallel structure. I think you're right. There, there's a lot of parallels in this episode yeah. with different characters. Um We'll talk about them. I mean, I guess just in this next scene, you know, there's a sort of thematic parallel between John releasing Tormund by cutting his cuffs off, and the same happens with Tyrion later on. Sure, I think that's uh, thematically interesting. I don't know. How, I don't know exactly what it says, but that's just how northern northerners roll, man. They're all about unchaining mean? and, and un, unroping. 
Okay. They'll so chain and rope, and then the they unchain too. and unrope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so John in this scene goes to Tormund and asks. Oh, him, oh, you're talking about Danny. I thought you were making. You, you said Tyrion. I thought you were making. Uh, yeah, Tyrion's unchained. Everybody's unchained yeah. in this episode. Yeah, but you were it's making. You're talking about his dar in particular. No, he was never chained. He was just no, in a no. cell on his knees. Yeah, I'm talking about Tyrion. Okay. At the, at the end of this, has like Jorah cuts his hand. Cuts yes. Off, or yes, his, yes. The rope. He does. He cuts his hands right off. <laughs> cuts his super hands dark off. scene. Yep. Uh, so John goes to Tormund, says, "Hey, go north, gather all the wildling people, bring them south, and we'll let them through the wall." Yep. And Tormund's like, "Okay, I'll do that, but only if you go with me, and we got to use Stannis boats to bring the wildlings back." And here's where I still think that, uh, you know, again, John is a young boy, uh, but I feel like he could have driven a much harder bargain, which is basically, uh, "Well, I'll let you go, and you can have no ships, and you can try to make it the hard home yourself, and fuck off." But he, yeah, I, I wonder. I, I wonder because yes. you know Stannis is leaving, but at the same time, Mans is dead. So That's, a couple of things changed on both sides, sure. um, which I don't which think he did. I don't think he get a hundred thousand hosts to ride against the wall. Probably not. After they got their ass kicked the last time, can he get? Could he get enough? Can he get? Maybe. Can he get sixty, seventy thousand to come through the wall with this deal? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe so. And does John truly understand what that means? It's not just the Tormans and it's the, the Egrets, which are already blood. I mean, they had no problem mowing down poor Ollie's family. Mm-hmm. But it's also the Thins, and it's the Giants, and it's their woolly mammoths. Like, it's <laughs> a lot of alien influences coming through that, that you're... Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. And... Especially when you look at modern day examples of, you know, two peoples that have just been locked in conflict for a a long enough time. You know, you all ask them, do you want peace? Yeah, sure, I want peace. Would would you accept peace and admit compromise with the bad guys? Oh, hell no. Mm -hmm. I'll fight them. My children will fight them. It's like, you know, there is a lot of this stuff. Yeah. That is real. (laughs) Like like feud sort of thing. Yeah. Um. Are there any checks and balances in Westeros as far as like King's Landings and the Night's Watch? Like, do do they know what John wants to do? What John is doing at this moment, and do they care? And if they care, can they even do anything about it? Well, like, they, what kind of leadership do they have sure. over what the Night's Watch does? Nothing. I mean, they're just like an entirely separate so entity. It's, there is checks and balances in the sense that the Night's Watch is not loyal to anyone. Or they're loyal to the realm as a whole, not in one individual kingdom. But they also do they have rely... to obey like the orders of the king or anything? I, d- I, I I don't know. Like can't you know? Here here's the power that I know the kings have over it: how much money you get, how much food you get, and how much men you get. Yeah. And the north has always been more important to the Night's Watch than anybody else because that's where the closest to, and mm-hmm. that's where the you know primary food and all that stuff comes. But there's also they talk about in the books that like in theory, Lord Commander is kind of a law unto himself. In reality, you know, there's a reason that the castles along the wall have no walls between themselves and Westeros because it makes them very easy to get their ass kicked in by any kind of resistance organized south that's that's the sure. entire uh, entirety of Westeros so yeah they don't have a lot of men up there either that's a pretty big yeah i mean there's it's built to defend one direction and be completely defense, defense defenseless from the the other side so okay those are kind of how the So regardless of work. what rules they have they but could easily sweep to directly north answer your question i don't ass. know if king's landing knows what's going on up here and what would king's land what would cersei think if the bastard of Eddard Stark is 
you know, aiding and abetting Stannis, mm-hmm. the pretender to the f- throne, probably not good. Yeah. But then again, the wall is a hell of a long way from King's Landing. Yeah, what can she do at this point? And it's not like she's got like easy peasy stuff down there. So yeah. All right, uh, let's move on. John announces his plans to the rest of the brothers, and they are definitely not sold on this idea. Uh, they don't want to make peace with the people who have killed so many of them, is what sure. it basically boils down to, the the feud kind of thing that you were talking about earlier. I mean, Sam's trying to kind of be the 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 loyalist, but even he's having a hard time, especially when, when Ed gets up and says they killed all the Black Brothers that had you know, any kind of screen credits last season. <laughs> we can't forgive that. Sure. You as the audience can't forgive those people dying either. So yeah, it's, it's, it's good. Yeah. But I, I, I like John's idea here. I mean, you can't, if you want to continue that feud, that's all you'll ever have. You know, somebody has to be the bigger person and stand up and say, all right, that's enough of this. Yeah. We're going to make peace. We're going to extend our hand in a peaceful gesture. Yeah. And that's like Independence Day too. Like we don't like a lot of countries and a lot of countries in the world don't like us. But if, you know, you got a Will Smith, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum situation, yeah, you kind of team them up. Sure. You kind of get together and, and mm-hmm. you, and you do what's best. And once you kick their ass, you can go back to fighting, but I don't know. And that's the other thing is I like the fact that there's at least one person at the wall, John, who's questioning this whole premise. Like, why are we at war with these men? We're trying to guard yep. the realms of men. These guys had the misfortune of 8,000 years ago being born on the wrong side of the wall when it was built. This is in East Germany, West Germany. What the fuck is going on? Sure. I don't think, I don't know. Did you like even get that? Because I felt like there's not a lot of time for these arguments to breathe. Like, oh, like no. John saying it, it's not only is it just feud, but also if we let them die, we're going to have to fight them as implacable ice zombies. Yeah, that and makes also, total sense. And also, why are we fighting anyway? Like, maybe the Finns wouldn't be bloodthirsty cannibals if they weren't living on a glacier. Yeah, you know? if, if they had a bunch of sheep or cattle to eat. You know? Yeah, yeah. A bunch of grain. They're boiling bark and running from dire wolves, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's that's making them a hard people. Yeah, no, I, I totally buy that argument. I I think that makes sense. What do you think of Stannis being uh, not only Lord of the First Men and the Andals and 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 also King of Grammar? <laughs> what is it with the grammar correction this week on TV? <laughs> like the two shows that I've watched yesterday sure. or Sunday night, both had grammar correction. I I don't know. I don't know what Don's deal is. Uh, apparently, this is a callback. Like he did this before. Yeah, when when like in uh, season two, Don was talking about his his fingers getting. He's yeah. like, I've got uh, you know four less fingernails to trim. Fewer. So I I I like that it shows how it makes it makes the rest of uh, Stannis make sense. He is just a completely regimented person. Okay. In the books, it's like a constant description of him grinding his teeth. Like every reaction he has is Stannis grinds his teeth. <laughs> like it's probably if you search grinds your his teeth, mm-hmm. there's probably like 150 hits in these two books alone. Wow. That's just one of his care. And they they can't you know how do you show this guy grinding his teeth? Mm-hmm. You can show him being a stickler for grammar. And being completely uncompromised in a sense of justice. And I think they need those moments. I think Stannis is winning this season as far as what people think of him as a character. Yeah, I'm coming around. Uh, I mean, that's he's, high he's, praise. He's become more of a character to me than just, you know, being led around at this point. I like what he's about to go do. I think that's going to be epic when he finally gets to, you know, Winterfell or wherever he's needs to go yeah. here. 
The the other thing I I have a problem with this scene is that I feel like the ace card is why would a guy like Dolores said I understand you're mad at these guys but you also at as John points out the fist of the first men and you saw this army of the undead mm-hmm. so you know if this was a George Romero we've kind of seen there was a George Romero Romero movie the survival of the dead where they're two rivaling clans on an island and they're still consumed with with zombies roving about and all that stuff so i guess there's precedent for it but to me it's like hundred thousand zombies versus making peace with my foe when i've seen the zombies are right it's independence day yeah you're you're exactly right on that and and again i feel like that they could have done a better job of making this a guys that weren't there at the fist of the first men Versus the guys that are still left that are instead of making even the guys that are like John loyalist turn against them. Yeah. And I don't know why, but that was another problem. Oh, well, John goes back to his office and Ollie comes in and tells John that he doesn't like his plan either for basically the same reasons. They killed my family and all that. And John tries to convince him that they need the wildlings, but Ollie doesn't seem to care. Then he kills the boy. You know, at first when he said kill the boy, I was like, why would he kill Ollie? <laughs> then he said, let the man be born. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Figurative boy. No, but Got you it. can see that this is killing the boy because John really yeah. wants people to understand why he's doing this and to be liked like everyone does. But he's not going to get it. Yeah, There's no combinations of words he can <laughs> use to to overcome this, apparently. To, to no one. But it, it's a really hard sell to a child who's had his family murdered. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anything you say there is going to convince him, oh, you're right, the greater good here. Sure. No, I mean, <laughs> there's some people that they're just never going to understand. Sure. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live.
Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. For Prestige, me and Aaron are still extending our Shogun Afterglow with part three of our discussion of the 1980s TV miniseries. Last week absolutely shocked our sensibilities with Lord Toronaga doing the tango. What delights and horrors will await us this week? Then for Pulp, this Friday, join us for our latest prep session for House of the Dragon Season 2 as we take another look at the key differences between the text of Fire and Blood and the on-screen action for Season 1 and what they mean for the characters, story, and setting. Get your Valerian steel sharpened for the new season. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. So we go to Brienne in Winterfell, and she's trying to figure out how to help Sansa when uh, the, the uh, I don't know what, what he's doing. He's servicing her room or something. He comes in, and Brienne tells him that she knows Sansa is here and wants to get a message to her. Mm. Says, hey, help me out. Yep. I thought the North remembered. What's going on here? Right. <laughs> uh, and I I suppose she does. You know, later on, we, we see the message coming in. Isn't it? kind of interesting that Brienne is pretty trusting like she oh she's too trusting literally the first northerner she sees that comes yeah. in to essentially restock her room with toilet paper and towels she's like uh how about this north remember stuff you're not a bolton are you you got no bolton sympathies you haven't been paid in bolton gold you're not terrified of ramsey and his repercussions i can trust you implicitly damn yeah. this damn. is a guy from season one isn't it i, like, I feel like i seriously? recognize him Oh wow! Well, then. but I but I don't know who he was. He may have just been some kind of peasant dude. I don't know. He, I, yeah, Walking if around. he was, then that would be pretty impressive. Um, and that make well, it makes more sense for us. It doesn't help Brienne out because Brienne sure. doesn't know this person Ab- from Adam. Absolutely, so, yeah, or well, from the first men. So is she still being stupid? Right. And I don't know. It's like, is this going to blow? Is this continual? acting valorously in the face of logic and reason, like going and swearing allegiance to Sansa right in front of Littlefinger. And is this eventually going to bite her in the ass again? What is what is Martin playing at? Yeah. Is, is things ultimately good or ultimately shitty? I I don't know, but it's, it doesn't seem wise. It feels like I'm watching her gamble with her life every single episode. Yeah. Uh, so we go to Ramsey and Miranda. They're in the, in Ramsey's bedroom and, She's jealous that Ramsey's going to marry Sansa, and uh, Ramsey's not happy with jealousy. He doesn't like it. No, he's got he a... Says, he's got jealousy a, bores me. He's got a further a dynasty, man. <laughs> what is with people saying dynasty? I don't know. Is that a British It's thing? exciting, and he hates boring things. If you just pronounce things correctly all the time, that's how I live my life. <laughs> just throw some mispronunciations in there. Keep things spicy. That's why you do English it. is malleable. Okay. It's I'm, I'm helping it evolve. Sure, uh, but jealousy is one of those things that bores him, and she's, he says not to bore me and she bites him and says never which really gets him going yeah they uh get it on by the window there do you so marky wrote in and he wanted to know what our opinion of this scene if you think of is miranda a colleague of kind of a a, a collegiate relationship with him and this abuse relationship or is she an abused person like is she the female version of theon that he's warped and twisted into his image uh, because it does seem like I could read it anyway. This could be the very first time that she's ever had Ramsey turn on her. And now she's like, oh, I wasn't special. I was mm-hmm. just this other thing. Or I could see it as 
you know, she he has deliberately threatened and manipulated her into doing this thing because it's better than being hunted down and raped and eaten by wolves in the woods. So which what what do you think is going on here? I think Sansa is a wild card here. Like it's something she didn't expect. And her jealousy is something she didn't expect. Um, She probably could have foreseen it had she thought about it. Like eventually I'm probably going to bore him, but uh, it, it seems to me like she was way on board with the stuff that they did to Theon and, and hunting down that girl uh, last season. Uh, I think that this might be the first time she's realizing, whoops, I might have gotten myself in too deep here. Hmm. So what's the repercussions? She's got to keep up the ruse as long as she can. Uh, (laughs) Keep up the ruse. (laughs) Not what I meant. No pun intended. Uh, But I I think that's the game plan, right? I mean, the the game plan has to be either keep up the ruse until, you know, Ramsey is killed or something. Or get out of there. Run away. And she doesn't seem to be running. She seems to be more defiant than You don't think she's a fighter? Like, is she going to factor in... Is is she? Uh, what is going to be her downfall? What's going to be her dry pie, or what's going to be Ramsey's dry pie? I wonder if you know they've obviously got Brian outside the walls. They got this woman unsatisfied. Mm-hmm. They got the old woman talking about North remembers and her lighting candles and all this stuff. Like you got to start looking at these as like what is the moving pieces that is going to make this this is going to eventually free Sansa or will she be freed? I I'm starting to think it's Theon uh, Reek. Mm. I, I can't imagine that if Sansa, you know, with the little finger training that yeah. she's got now, if she starts to dig her hooks into Theon, mm-hmm. that he won't come around. Okay. And then the, again, like, what is Martin playing at? Is this going to, you know, are, are we, is he building our hopes? Is he showing all this stuff, like, <laughs> set in motion, and then it's all going to be foiled like the Keystone pl- Cops plot it is? Mm-hmm. Like, this is going to be the time Brienne rides in. We leaping before she looks and she's going to be, you know, that's the thing. It always could be. Yeah. But how do you ever predict it? Right. Like go back to the red wedding. How do you see that coming? Sure. I mean, yeah, maybe. Okay. Walter Frey was upset. You get that. But how do you see that actual event coming about? And it's, it's such, that's the thing. Like the red wedding is like, you know, sure. There's some threats to Rob and all that stuff. But the way it went down is like, you know, you're her condition that, that there's going to, the hero is going to be able to get away, mm-hmm. and instead they bravehearted you, you yeah. know. So that and and it's it's tough because they do give us just a little bit enough triumph that it makes the you know it, it's kind of like horror movies with jump scares. They pay off just enough that you're still kind of on edge. And which yeah. one is this going to be? And I sure. don't know because the books aren't that far yet. <laughs> yep. But how does it feel? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, a servant comes to Sansa and says. Hey, go up to uh, this tower, the highest tower in Winterfell, and light a candle in the window if you're ever in trouble. And Sansa goes to the tower, looks at the window, and then says, "That's fucking high, and this tower is broken, and yeah, no one comes I'm, here. I'm not this is the most there. impractical distress signal of all time." <laughs> but but it can be seen from everywhere, right? <laughs> anyway, Miranda comes up and asks about her dress, and then tells her she has a surprise for her. She takes her over to the kennels where she finds Theon. In the back, pretending to be a dog. Is he pretending? No, I don't think he is at this point. I know, right? <laughs> he is actually a dog. He, that's the, he's, he's certainly a pet. That's fucked say up. That. It yeah. is fucked up. One thing I want to talk about the staging of this shot. 
Did you notice that like there's this kind of bird's eye, like the whole establishing shot is this like very on top of the the wall and it's kind of like a bird's eye angle and there's croaking of crows kind of in the background. Hmm. I didn't hear the crows, but yeah, I remember the shot. I think it's interesting. You know, we haven't seen Bran in a long while. Um, I think he's got a three-eyed raven up there. Well, I mean, because those angles are almost exclusively reserved for Bran dream sequences, and he would always look up and there'd be the crow, and here's that, and like, you know, his sister never had that warg relationship because her wolf was killed way early on. Hmm. So she never had wolf dreams or anything, stuff that Bran's gone through or anything like that. So I just wonder if we... If this is for sharp-eyed show watchers to kind of be like, possibly the the three-eyed crow or Bran or somebody is keeping an eye on her. Sure. That could be interesting. Uh, it might be that old guy in the tree, I guess. Yeah, yeah Saruman the dingy. Mm-hmm. Saruman to hopefully be recasted and much more <laughs> awesome when the next time we see him. Recasted or CGI'd. CGI'd. There we yep. go. Anyway, uh, Theon confesses to Ramsey that he allowed Sansa to see him and Ramsey forgives him in a scene that had me very tense. Yeah, I, like, you did. I was, he says, give me your hand. I'm, oh no. Oh no. Broken fingers for sure. When he's like on your knees, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, oh my God, we're, I, you know, I've been complaining about not enough sausage and it's going to get <laughs> served hot. Oh, no. uh, and it's going to be uh, that, but that's the thing. Like I feel sick in my stomach every single time I see these guys together. It's effective. Is he going to is he going to pluck off a, a finger? Is he mm-hmm. going to flay something? Is he going to pull out a fingernail? Is he going to make him orally service him? Ramsey's terrifying, man. Yeah. And when he starts up he at the dinner that. table, it's it's just as bad. Yeah, you know, I, I might be more like existentially scared of this guy than I was of Joffrey. Because Joffrey wasn't as competent as this guy. He was That's con- the thing. a little bit of a buffoon. Yes. Uh he was too he young. Just, he had a ton of power. I mean, that was a the thing that power. made him really scary. But, but like, like he was vicious, but he was an idiot. Yeah, like Tyrion said. Whereas this guy's smart and vicious. Ramsey's not not, but he's arrogant as all hell, and he does overplay his hand. True. So yeah. I guess that's his weakness. Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll see if that haunts him. If that comes back to bite him. Um, during dinner, Ramsay makes Theon apologize for killing Sansa's brothers, which we know he didn't, which I thought and was And by the way, Roos isn't apologizing for the murder of her brother and mother that he did, in fact, commit. Sure. So yeah. I thought that was an extra level of mindfuck, that Theon's mm-hmm. being asked to apologize for something he didn't even do. Now, Theon thinks he did, right? Uh, if I recall, he thought those corpses no. were them. No, no, Theon did that as a as kind of a weak sauce move because he couldn't find Brandon Rickon. I think he would have killed Brandon Rickon. Okay. Now, hmm. and I think I think Alfie Allen is doing a hell of a job in acting these scenes. Oh yeah. But I was curious about the direction because I why wouldn't Theon just lose his shit? Why wouldn't he just if his if his what does it say about his mental state and his feelings of guilt? The fact that when his master told him to apologize and make it seem sincere, he still gave this very reserved instead of just falling down to his feet and like, oh, please. I, I, I kind of expected him just to completely lose his shit and abase himself. I feel like. So what am I supposed to know from that? So the, the way I feel about Theon is that he doesn't he doesn't even 
have any emotions left. He's just like this ball of fear. Mm. And so he's literally just doing exactly what Ramsey tells him to do. No more, no less. Like he doesn't say make it sincere. He says, look in her eyes. Yeah. He says, you know, apologize directly to her. He doesn't say anything about like, oh, make it sincere, you know, make it flowery, make it fancy. I think Theon is just taking orders directly as they're given. Yeah, somebody asked me in feedback that, like, what is Theon's deal? Does he even remember he was Theon at this point? Does he know the truth? Is he too far gone? That's a good and question. It's interesting because, like, you know, one of my favorite books on the topic is 1984, mm-hmm. showing a man being broken and that 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 cognitive dissonance and what that feels like. Like, you know, Stockholm Syndrome. At what point... Or, like, what's going on in North Korea is another great example of, like, this entire cultural delusion. How much do you mm-hmm. – you, you know, I say you fake it till you make it, and that works with positive qualities. Like, if you act confident for a long enough time and you can keep that up or you're forced to, you'll eventually achieve confidence. Why wouldn't work at a negative thing? Like, if someone makes you crazy long enough, mm-hmm. then you're crazy. But – if you turn the corner and become confident, do you remember – I mean, what's your internal image of yourself? Do you even remember what it was like when you were – like, I don't know. Do you have like a sort of amnesia, selective amnesia for that? And or? there's the whole thing of like being brainwashed and it's like I've – you know, I've I've got a lot of complicated thoughts and feelings on the matter. <laughs> but I I don't know. What truly matters is what how he's acting and how he's externally manifesting it because he could be crying on the inside. But as long as he's more afraid of Ramsey than he is of – you know, taking a stand against something he he believes strongly about, then, you know, he's going to be Reek and not Ramsey. Yeah, I, it makes me wonder if Ramsey could ever go too far with Reek. Tell him to do something that he just couldn't do. Or is he so broken that he would do literally anything that Ramsey says? That's a good question. I mean, he has done some pretty horrible things. He goes into, you know, Moat Kalen fully knowing what Ramsey's going to do. Uh-huh. Uh, although, eh, maybe not. Maybe he doesn't realize what... I, I, no, I don't I think, think he's th- got to realize who Ramsey is, but maybe he doesn't realize in that situation that Ramsey's going to come in and kill everyone. Or maybe he's just not trying to think too too hard about it. Because yeah, my read too, was yeah. that he was kind of shocked, but then at the end, like, oh well, maybe that just feeds into guilt. I should have known. Yeah, but it's just I I think the psychology behind it is extremely complicated, and I don't think we're supposed to know. Like, how the hell would you? How the hell would you know what it's like to be in that that extreme situation? I don't, I don't think you would. Like. <laughs> You know, we it's the human brain's a weird thing. Like you've heard about those kids that like no one talked to or they're locked in the closet for like the first twelve years of their life and they like there's a point where your brain just snaps and it's gone. Yeah. Like you are no longer recognizably human and is Theon there or not? I think that's a question we're all supposed to be asking. Yeah, definitely. Uh so uh, the other thing that happens in this scene is Roos announces that his wife is pregnant and it's probably a boy. And then later on Ramsey and Roos are talking about that, and we can see that Ramsey's upset about it and yeah, worried that he's going to lose his inheritance. His face, that beat where he <laughs> announces, speaking of good news, uh, I, ah, I love it. I love it. It's a great, most yeah, uncomfortable. Ramsey feels so in control there, right? And He's like, look at how good I am. Roos, in an instant, this brings him down. So great. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, during this next scene, Roos assures him, you know, you're not going to lose your inheritance. You're my son now. Um and he asks him to help defeat Stannis when he shows up. Right. Which I'm wondering exactly how. We, we talked a little bit in the Instacast, like maybe he would need to ride off and do something, um, maybe something that gets him killed, something like that. But 
I don't know. Uh, that is a pretty open-ended question there. Like, how is Roos going to use Ramsey, or how is Ramsey going to serve Roos in a, a valuable way? It's a good question, there? because we heard from Roos himself that Stannis is the one of the finest military commander. I don't think he qualified it. This is the finest military commander yeah. in Westeros. Stannis' uh, appraisal of the situation was, I have the advantage, which is not the same as saying it's a surefire thing, mm-hmm. but... It is going. I'm super interested in seeing what exactly happens. Like Winterfell is just looking like it's going to be this giant clusterfuck uh-huh. of marriages <laughs> and betrayals and wars, and we only have five episodes to go. So there's just a lot converging on on this place. Yeah, I'm super curious what Littlefinger has up his sleeve. And that you're right, the Littlefinger. My God, I want to see what. <laughs> I want to know what Littlefinger is up to. The Littlefinger gun hasn't, the uh, trigger hasn't pulled on that one either. Yeah. Okay, before we move on, we have a special sponsor to talk about this week. And that sponsor is Squarespace. Uh, I am, as you guys know, as I said earlier, a technical guy. Uh, I built a lot of websites in my time and always a great pain. Uh, they take a long time and they're hard to do. And Squarespace says you're running scared. You're out of a job. No, I put myself out of a job a long time ago with this <laughs> podcasting thing. Uh, Squarespace actually has me kind of happy at how easy it is. I went on their website and I messed with the, their system and it was super easy. Like you go on there, you sign up, it asks you like a few like English language questions like, oh, what's the name of your business or what's your name? And it kind of just sets up the website for you and you can choose from a bunch of different templates and then you can go in and just very easily on the website, just edit it. You don't need any special tools, nothing like that. Makes it super, super easy, super fast. Uh, it's only eight bucks a month and you get a free domain if you sign up with them for a year. So they make it super easy. They make it super cheap uh, and they make it easy to get support when you need it. Um, 24-7 live support uh, via chat or email. So they always have somebody there to talk to on their website to help you out. And uh, you get a couple of good features, like really difficult things to do on your own with these websites, like first of all, responsive design, which is basically the idea that it works on every device, be that a phone, a tablet, uh, your computer, all that's taken care of with Squarespace. Another web developer uh, confirming that's a pain in the ass. A huge pain. Yeah. So they make that easy. They also make setting up, um, as you probably know as well, the commerce part of it, very easy. So if you want to sell a product on your website, it's literally, you click a button and it's ready to go. You upload an image, boom. Uh, super easy. If you, if that sounds good to you, you can start your free trial. You don't even need to put in a credit card number, nothing. You can set up a website without it. Uh, you can, you can start building it today. And then once you decide, Hey, I want to actually, um, spend some money on this. You can get 10% off of your first purchase. If you use the offer code G O T that also tells them, Hey, we sent you and it helps us out. Uh, as, as bald move fans, I hope you're you're okay with that. <laughs> um, but, but we want to thank Squarespace for their support of us, and we hope you like their service. Uh, do, you, do you like slogans? I like that's, slogans. That's the one question I have for you, because I got a slogan for you. The North remembers slogans. Uh, it's almost that good. How Squarespace slogan is, build it beautiful. Hmm. Uh, Gilly's asking Sam some questions about libraries and still kind of feeling bad that she doesn't know anything. She knows less than Jon Snow, which is nothing. Uh, Stannis walks in, Gilly leaves, and Stannis and Sam talk a little bit about the White Walkers, and he finds out, you know, Dragon Glass is the thing that defeats him, and he's like, okay, Sam, keep reading, because you're doing a good job, we need to know how to fight these What'd guys. What do you think of this scene? Why was, why did Stannis come to the library? 
specifically because he had heard that Sam was reading and had killed so. a White Walker. I and think so. And he wanted, wanted to talk more, to him. Sure. He's actually taking okay. them seriously because of Melisandre. Then I think he was he was testing Sam. Hmm. He he was seeing what Sam actually knew. If if in fact Sam knew how he killed the White Walker or why or any of that stuff. And then when he finds out, okay, Sam does know a thing or two. He's like, keep reading. I'm going to use this use this information that you find hmm. because he's become I, the scholar of Westeros. I thought it was curiously the show dragging its feet as quickly and as weirdly. Really? Then moving over quickly, moving over broken ground. They've been doing this last week or two. Like literally it's like, how did you kill the white Walker with dragon glass? Huh? We got a lot of dragon glass on Dragonstone. Yeah. And the indigenous <laughs> people use weapons with these tips, uh-huh. like, you know, huh? Well, you better keep reading to find out how we can defeat this menace, Sam. <laughs> Get like, some fucking dragon glass. Yeah. What the I, fuck? Okay, I got you. Like that's the thing that ended the, the whole the way it ended. Like, well, just keep reading. You'll you'll crack the code pretty soon. You cracked it. It's, it's like, do cracked. I need to get a PowerPoint? Like, here's <laughs> Dragon Glass, here's the White Walker. They melt. Yep. yep. You've got a shitload of it, apparently on Dragonstone. Maybe the whole fucking place is made out of it. You're right. So why does Stannis say keep reading? Because he's more concerned with the war know. that he's about to bring to the north? I really don't know how we're supposed to interpret that. Is he like, let's deal with the winter when it comes, but for now I've got to go take this. Maybe. Maybe he's focused one thing on another. Or maybe, yeah, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. That was a a, a funny note uh, when it hit my ears. All right. What if you made a suit of armor out of dragon glass? <sighs> Could the White Walkers even touch you? I don't know. We'd be playing like, uh, what was that, the Skyrim at that point? Yeah. Yeah, you would. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on. It's going to just come down to Fuss Road, uh, isn't it? Yes. I'm going to have to do dragon shouts. <laughs> going to see Tyrion riding a dragon doing dragon shouts. You know what? It's not like even that's like a remote chance, too. <laughs> it that's could happen, thing. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I can't wait for three years from now when, when he's doing magic dragon shouts. <laughs> we can play this, play this back. Awesome. You're the first. All right, Stannis comes to uh, Davos, tells him, we're leaving at sunrise, and my family's coming with us to Davos' surprise. Uh, Just a really short scene here. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, I mean, there's a significant look between uh, Davos and Melisandre. Mm -hmm. Clearly, Davos would rather leave them here with the rapists and murderers. Yeah, I, I would rather that too, sure. Melisandre's going to burn Shireen or Solis or both. Mm hmm. Really? Yep. Why not? Stannis is going to allow... I mean, that's the thing. There's some connection with Melisandre and this stone man thing. I get it. Well, yeah. has going on, I think. That's interesting, too. So is this just a red herring? They're making us think that she's a threat? Because that's the thing. It could be. I I think she wants... She's got something that Melisandre needs. There's a 0% chance unless Melisandre takes control of Stannis' mind with some kind of red magic that Stannis allows her to burn Shireen. There's I, no I agree. fucking yes. way. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit more on the fence about whether he would let her burn Solis. Yeah. Because I don't yeah. know that he loves Solis, and Solis has kind of be, has been this weirdo bitch about the whole red woman situation, and she's a she's a terrible mother. She's horrible. That anyway. clearly I mean, grinds his teeth. I, I I don't know what would happen if she, if and Mill Sonder also uh kind of put her down like the dog oh, yeah. she was a yep. few episodes back. So I but it could be that you're right. She's going to do something wholly benevolent, and we just don't know. Could be. Uh, in the morning, Stannis leaves Castle Black with his troops in 
a pretty cool scene. Like, I really enjoyed seeing this road just full of troops headed yeah. out. It was cool. That's cool. Some of the most evocative moments of Game of Thrones are like, you know, the Stark Bannerman on the hill and playing yep. over to hosts. I mean, that's the cool excitement and promise of the show is like these epic things happening. I really don't like that Melisandre is just riding right next to the fucking king. Like, she's the queen or something. She's Moses, man. He, he's she's got, got a, a daughter. He's got a wife that could both be riding next to him. He's got Davos. Like, she's the Ark of the uh, Covenant, man. She's got to ride and for, for, forth in the battle. Fucking red magic. <laughs> Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeney. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R. R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Speaking of red magic... Somehow Grey Worm survives this, these multiple stab wounds, and he wakes up and professes his love for Missandei, and they kiss. In scene. We have a fairly thoughtful feedback that is okay. going to refute, because I just don't, I don't, I don't like this. I think it's dumb. Yeah. I don't see um, the point of it. I'm with you. There's apparently feedback that says otherwise. There is a feedback that I thought was fairly compelling. I don't know that I, I, I still don't know that I agree with it, but... Okay. You know, I was kind of supportive of this storyline when I thought that it was going to be the way they kind of make a point about the uh, Unsullied, that they're more complicated than we might think. And then they showed, they played out with the man going to the prostitute to lay with her. And I'm like, okay, well, that's mm-hmm. what they did in the book. So why are we still doing this? Hmm. Like, I, you know, again, I'm not saying that I don't buy that he can't have feelings for her. And that she can have feelings for him, and it can be some non-conventional, not non-consensual, non-conventional relationship. I just don't know why I care. Okay. There. So, 
there. It, it does it need to factor into the bigger plot for you to care? Does no. it need to affect Danny? I mean, at all, just like or? I said, I'm I'm going with the Valkyrie like plot that like just because okay something can be interesting and good in and of itself and also tell us something about the large maybe just the motivations. One thing I can think of is there are not really any points of view from the common man in Game of Thrones. They're all highborn or like, okay, yeah, Melisandre's a slave, but she's not still a slave. She's one of the most powerful women in Westeros. Yeah. You know, Danny was traded as chattel at one point, but now she's a queen. There are, and Arya is like, she's not a displaced orphan girl. She's now an assassin in training. Everyone's cool and badass. Yeah. It would be kind of interesting to tell a point of view just from the common man so we can see kind of like, again, put a face on what Danny's fighting for. But I don't think that's what they're doing. So again, why the hell do I care? Okay. Why am I spending two or three minutes in this episode when Danny goes fighting Pitt's marriage, fighting Pitt's marriage? I mean, like, yeah, boom. boom. L- let's talk about that. Okay. Let's get into that because I feel like we're going to talk about it for a while. Uh, so Danny asks Miss Andy what the hell she should do, and Miss Andy basically tells her to uh-huh. kill the girl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> makes her decide to reopen the fighting pits and marry Hisdar. Uh. I feel like after watching this a second time and thinking about it, that this may be a two pronged approach from Danny to uh, quash this rebellion and, and simultaneously get the, the former slaves back on her side. So if she reopens the fighting pits, that will, in her mind, I think, um, satisfy the former slaves. Like that's what they want. That's part of their culture. They like going to watch these things. They like participating in them. Reopen it. Okay. Okay. They're satisfied. Now, you have to deal with the sons of the harpy. So if you somewhat make the former masters masters again mm-hmm. by marrying one of them into royalty, are they are they appeased? I, I think that's her goal, but I don't know if it works. Yeah, I mean, are they appeased in the sense of like Hitler in 1933? I mean, I I think that's a ter- I mean, you, you could be right. You could I think be right. that's what she's going for. I don't but I think, think that's it's a terrible work. idea. I do too. <laughs> because the other thing is, like, I don't think all the slaves want the fighting pits back. I'm sure the fighting slaves that are like the elite level champions, the 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 uh, Boston ball deflating Patriots, and you know the Yankees of the world, but the ones that are just forced to fight or used to force to fight or die or you know slaves that had w- children that were forced to fight and die or lost husbands well i'm, I'm not those people don't have to do it right no those but i'm saying that give a shit. these They're... people believe in danny for a very specific reason these yeah. you know you call them bleeding heart former slaves whatever and the others are like the badass pit fighting slaves you're going to alienate that that tr- treating that class of people like they all want and think the same thing is kind of dangerous just as treating them, the upper class the same way. But you're giving them uh, another – you're giving them back a portion of the freedom that they lost when she came in, right? Yeah. I mean, granted, they were all slaves and being forced into that, but now they don't have a choice They the other way, right? Yeah. They can't do that if they want to. I feel like and, – and when you think about it, like in ancient Rome, right, when they have the gladiators and all the that bread shit. bread and circuses, sure. It's, it's not – the upper elite class were the only people going to these things, sure. like watching them. No, it, it's it a, was a sport that everyone loved to watch. Like if they, if somebody came in, overthrew the president, and banned the NFL, how would you feel? I would not be happy. <laughs> right. So if they gave that back to you, that would probably go a long way. And me, as someone who doesn't care about the NFL, wouldn't care either way. But here's the thing, like, but as as far as like a freedom and justice sort of thing, I think yeah, let them do the NFL. Sure. You know? 
I mean, but that's the thing. Like, so, like, let's say that happened, and you pulled NFL fans right after. It's like, how happy are you to be banned? Like, ninety five percent will be furious. At well, the they'd new all regime. show up to the poll with golden masks, with golden and helmets, blue cloaks. golden helmets with <laughs> with sun visors, so you can't see their face. Of course, uh-huh. of course. Um, but and then they would stab Roger Goodell to death because that needs to happen anyway. But but second. If the regime then, like after a sustained amount of gold helmeted attacks, that they yeah. were actually they they reinstituted the NFL. I think if you polled the NFL fans, seventy five percent would still fucking hate the new regime. Like the the, yeah, the what okay, you're, I agree. you're going it's, from uh-huh. to okay, a, a quieter we can, version of it. Yeah. yeah, now we can watch football again. Like uh-huh. the. the I, I just don't think it's going to swing back the way the way she wants it to. But there is something where she up- holds the course. Maybe, maybe she can keep that base of compassionate slaves on her side. But now I think she's going to alienate everyone. I I think the bigger problem. I I don't think reopening the fighting pits is the problem. I think the bigger problem is his dar. Well, let me ask you this. Also, is this her truly trusting her gut? That's my big question because does her gut really say opening? Question. Opening like. John's gut, I honestly believe, says yes. we need to show these people mercy. We need them on our side. There's lots, lot, and, and, and hers seems like an opposite reaction. It her seems like a very calculated, uh, but amateur Machiavellian situ- uh, solution, and I think it's going to blow up in her face. Yeah, it felt to me like when Miss Andy comes and says, basically, I've seen you listen to your counselors, and I've seen you make your own decisions, and those have been the smart ones. I think Danny maybe overthinks it a little bit and goes into this situation thinking, you know what? You're right. I'm going to trust my gut, but here's my new solution. Yeah. Um, Without asking anyone. The the way she takes that advice is don't ask anyone. Right. Not not that you need to trust your gut and go with your instincts so much as just don't ask anyone and do what you think you should do. No, I I just don't believe, like you said, I don't believe that her gut's telling her that human blood sport is good. So... I have another question. Okay. I I don't know how this works. I don't know what rules there are for this or if there even are any more rules for this in Marine. But when she marries his dar, he becomes the king, right? Yeah. How does that work in this very hierarchical I think it works the same society. way it does in England. The queen has a king consort uh who i think is actually a prince mm. okay. but he is not the ruler it's her it, it goes through the blood not the marriage okay all right that works so so if they had it but uh, i honestly i started looking that up because there was a lot of questions out of downton abbey and it looked like that like <laughs> marrying in it's like you know it, it seems like it's ultimately a sexist patriarchal institution Sure, it, it absolutely is. Yeah, but at the top levels, it like inverts, and like hmm. uh, you know, the blood is more important than the absence or presence of a penis. Okay, but yeah, gotcha. Because so again, we have a current ruling monarch that's yeah, 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 yeah. Whatsoever. He'll be like, I guess, her king consort, but it's not it's the same as being the king. Okay, and I don't now. The question, an interesting question, is she has no children. Well, I mean the three dragons, but you know, they're 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 <laughs> grounded they right now. One's run away, and the other two are grounded. Yeah, yeah. If she dies, who who gets the crown? And is that going to be now that she's married into oh, these boy. rich slave owners? What what kind of machinations are she going to? Is she just opened herself into? This Think is his my greater plot to kill her. I don't know because I don't have a his dar seems like a good dude. 
For the most part, yeah. He certainly But when we first met Ramsey, he seemed like a good dude, too. True. He was trying to save Theon from, yeah. you know, imprisonment by the Boltons. So I, I don't know. He's he's a very handsome, smooth. Uh, he says a lot of the right things. But then mm. again, he's also a proponent of uh, human cockfighting. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I man, it would be a shame if Danny dies uh, because of this and it just goes right back into the hands of the slave owners. <laughs> Yeah. Like Marine just goes back to their default mode. I mean, I don't feel like that because that just would like I as a book reader, I would throw a, a book against the wall if something spanning yeah. three it's essentially, four books is just a dead end. That's a, yeah, that's it's not essentially Valkyrie. Deus, Ex, De- Deus Ex Machina, right? That's like, not Valkyrie. That's the end of the Lord of the Rings. Sauron just comes and takes the ring from Frodo and ends up ruling the world anyway. Like, what the fuck did I sure. just spend nine hours for? <laughs> I felt like that after The Hobbit, but <laughs> we won't go there. You liar! You never saw the Hobbit. I saw the first one. Oh well, yeah. you, <laughs> I felt like seen that after, all then. after the first all. one. I felt like it. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's go to Tyrion and Jorah. They're still on the boat to Marine. Uh, it has become a river to Marine instead of a road. While Tyrion asks for wine, they sail into the ruins of Valeria, and inside they see a dragon. They get attacked by stone men, during which uh, Tyrion's dragged under the water and. Uh, when he wakes up, he finds himself and Jorah stranded on the beach. And Jorah looks at his arm and sees, oh, he has grayscale. Got the grayscale. Bad news for Jorah. Can't shake it. There's a lot of stuff to like about this these, this series of scenes. Uh, I want to start off with a little Easter egg for the book readers. Oh, in boy. the books, in fact, Tyrion is going from uh, Pintos down to Volantis on the Rhoyne River. And when he comes to, he goes, what is this? This isn't the Rhoyne. When in ah, the books he's okay. and and now in the show they're actually uh, sailing through the ruined land of Valeria, um, which I thought was again a kind of amusing wink to us book readers. Yeah, it still works in the show. It's because, not a spoil. Yeah, you know just, this is not the way he would choose to go to Marine. <laughs> sure, sure. Through Valeria, and this isn't exactly how things are happening in the books either. There's a lot of kind of Kirkman style remixing going on. Okay, um, but. This uh, this 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 grayscale attack is fairly straight out of the book, okay. and I kind of been theorizing for a long time that they were going to save this for like a mid season cliffhanger, but they didn't. I was kind of curious to see, you know, when it faded to black with Tyrion underwater. I think you and I both were on the same wavelength. Yeah. Oh, they're going to dun dun dun, written and directed or yeah, produced by credits. the Double Ds and mm-hmm. move on, but they they didn't. I, do you think that? They just were like, well, let's do that way. But then they heard the collect. They could hear in their mind's eye the collective groans on the internet and bitching and moaning. They're like, you know Probably. what? It's, that's a, this is a cheap cliffhanger. So does this go down exactly like it does in the books? Like Tyrion gets dragged under. Uh, we find out that Jorah has grayscale, all that stuff. Uh, there's a lot. There's changes in who we're dealing with and what we're dealing with. But yeah, the broad okay. strokes are the same. So as a book reader, you would have known that Tyrion doesn't die there. Yes. Okay. Then, then I feel like there would have been some outrage. Just like, come on, we know Tyrion's not dead. Why did you do this? I want to throw some point. Yeah, I want to throw some. But I'd begin the show watchers wouldn't know that. That's true. And so you have to be like, could could you? Would you buy that he died? Would you legitimately feel fear? I don't think most people. No, I think when they set up a cliffhanger like that, it's not because he's dead. It's because he's alive. Right. Because (laughs) in in cliffhangers for Game of Thrones is Ned just got his head cut off, fade Uh to black. It's not (laughs) Ned is on the chopping block with the sword in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's most like this thing happened. What the hell is going to happen next? So now I think 
what I thought was interesting, and I'm going to throw some mildly interesting stuff to you here. Okay. Are you sure that that Tyrion doesn't have grayscale? No. No, I'm not. Because, you know, I, I pointed out in the first watch that he did get touched. And I was, you know, I, I heard a lot of people like, well, yeah, that was on the boot and it was underwater and, you know, whatever. But then when I watched the second time, Jorah puts both of his hands all over Tyrion, like bare flesh. Mm-hmm. So he has in fudged, in, in fudged. He has in fact been touched, and and by uh, someone with like grayscale. In, yeah. in fact, being touched. The new word for that is fudged. He's been fudged by uh, Jorah. So <laughs> whoa, 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 buddy. <laughs> Keep so your... do do we know that Tyrion is out of the woods yet? That is uh, a, an interesting question to ask. Yeah, I don't think we do. I do you think man, we're intended? Tyrion to be... is going to be the whipping boy of this series, like. Okay, he starts off as a dwarf, right? He's not First respected. of all, Theon's typing an email right now saying about, what's the fuck about whipping boys? <laughs> I've had my dick cut off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then whip uh, with it. Sure, but I, so Tyrion's born a dwarf. He gets uh, sliced up in a battle. He's got a giant scar across his face. He gets no credit for. Now he's got, yeah, that he gets no praise for, certainly. Uh, if anything, the opposite. And now he's going to have grayscale. Are you really going to do that to him? Plus, his girlfriend got stolen by his dad. She yeah, I mean, there's a lot of single-handedly tragedy. convicted. I mean, like you're skipping a lot of the whipping boy stuff, but uh, sure, there's just a ton of stuff that Tyrion's dealt with. Although I guess a lot of characters have. That's the thing. Like um, this is Game of Fucking Thrones, man. Yeah, G O F T. It could go that way, I, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I certainly won't like it because Tyrion's my favorite character. Obviously, what do you think of Old Valeria? It was kind of awesome. I thought it was. It's very. Uh, kind of Roman antiquity. Yeah. Like you could see that that like they and and you know if if you missed it just from the production uh design, Tyrion helpfully said, we still don't know how to build cities like this. We know from previous seasons they've lost the art of making the superior steel. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of cool. I I think it was kind of cool to see that. And I thought it was very well expressed, almost like an ancient alien technology that they were sailing through. But it still yeah, didn't look like glass towers and steel or you know it it didn't look like anything out of star wars it was just slightly more advanced than the rest of the world um given like all the stuff they said about valeria and just like how much better they were and how amazing it was i didn't think we'd ever see valeria Mm. i didn't realize that it was a place you could go to yeah was the ruins of valeria Mm -hmm. um so when we saw it i was like oh cool sure i was i was surprised by it uh the other thing i was super surprised by is the stone man uh I felt like they were more legend than actual thing. Sure. Um, I don't. I don't know how they survive this grayscale disease for as long as they do and as severe as it is. But ultimately, I thought it was really cool when they started. You you can see them in certain shots. Um, you apparently noticed them like right away. I was looking for them, and it's kind of okay. Like, that makes sense. Yeah. And and I and I when I first saw them, I kind of like gasped because it's it's very much. Uh, like signs the movie yeah. where like you don't even aware that there's like and then a leg moves like oh shit yeah but yeah like and then you're not even sure if you actually saw anything right <laughs> like when that guy jumps off the tower it's spooky it freaked me out yeah and also it explains like you know that jorah and Tyrion were enraptured by the dragon so of course yes because my that thing's like there's no and, way and there's a... they would be jumped and be taken aware of but if you've got drogon <laughs> who's looking badass yeah. flying over then yeah they'll distract you speaking of drogon where's he flying to i know you probably can't answer this but uh he's gone from marine and he's flying over valeria now 
Well, that doesn't seem the path that a dragon would take if he's going to say King's Landing. Well, he would just so go straight shot say, as so, the bird flies. Or as so the here's the thing: flies. like, if you want to geographically place this, imagine that. Uh, Imagine like the Indian subcontinent has been blasted into a bunch of fragments because some terrible cataclysmic and there's ocean channels has opened up through there. So yeah. Tyrion and uh, Jorah are starting on the west coast of this ruined continent and they're sailing through it. And Drogon yeah. was sa- was flying away. So broadly speaking, Drogon seems like he's he's flying west, which would go to Westeros. But on the other hand, they're also fairly close to. Slavers Bay and Marines, so he could just this could just be his ter- what the territory he's op- occupying. Yeah, that's how I felt. Like he was just kind of meandering around, doing his dragon thing. There's also a possibility this is not Drogon, and it's some other because this is the land of Valeria. Uh, this is the land that's of dragons. Not true. If you watch the behind the scenes stuff for Game of Thrones, sure, they say it is Drogon. Okay, so but I'm saying like I we had a couple emails that I didn't have time to consider, but I just want to throw that out. That at least some people are like, well, what if there's other dragons in the world? Sure. No, I when I first saw it, that's why I was wondering: is this Drogon or not? Yeah. Um, and it would make sense that if the dragons were anywhere, they were in Valeria, right? Yeah, it seemed like that. The important thing is that there were no dragons, and then that blood magic thing in season one jump started it. That's yeah. You know, there's a lot of magical convergence that happened around the Stark children and Daenerys and the, these red priests and and et, et cetera. Okay, that's it. It's the end of the episode. Before we get to feedback, I'd like to uh, mention our sponsor, Audible. And you can get a uh, a free trial of their service and get a, an audiobook for free by going to audiblepodcast.com slash GOT. And it's it's not just Game of Thrones, although you can get the complete unabridged works of George R. R. Martin. Uh, one of your free credits can be one of these books. They've got, you know, all the Dresden Files. they got the, all the Mistborn trilogy. I just saw today they got uh, the Jurassic Park. If you want to get in the mood for the new, all right, uh, the, the the new Jurassic World coming out coming our way, you can download that. But th- I've been doing this podcast for five years. I think I've got this audience pegged. They're all about the George R. R. Martin. <laughs> you would think so, yeah. And you know, some people were upset about Barristan dying, and a lot of our book uh, us book readers were surprised and upset because he's still very much alive in the book series, hmm. which is this rare case where I can actually divulge some things that cannot possibly spoil the rest of the books. Uh, I'm going to play for you now from the audiobooks using the feature to increase the audio speed because, you know, um, one of my, my one of my knocks against the spoken word audio books is you can't choose how fast or slow the guy reads. Hmm, okay. uh, and I'm an impatient reader. I read very fast. So I've uh, wicked up Roy Dotris here to 1.25 speed using my handy dandy uh, Audible app. And oh. we're going we're gonna to get a little bit in the further adventures of Barristan Selmy. Okay, bring it. He turned in time to see Kroz emerge from behind a tapestry. He moved slowly, still groggy from sleep, but his weapon of choice was in his hand, a Dothraki arak, long and curved, a slasher sword made to deliver deep, slicing cuts from horseback, a murderer's blade against half-naked foes, in the pit or on the battlefield. But here at close quarters, the arak's length would tell against it. And Barristan Selmy was clad in plate and mail. Throw down your steel and stand aside, the knight said, and no harm need come to you. Kraz laughed. Old man, I will eat your heart. The two men were of a height, but Kraz was two stone heavier and forty years younger, with pale skin, dead eyes, and a crest of bristly red-black hair that ran from his brow to the base of his neck. Then come, said Barristan the Bold. 
So a little bit of a cliffhanger there. If you if you want to see how Barristan makes it out of this crowning moment of badass, the only way you're ever going to know is to read the books because he's dead. He's dead in the series. So if, if you want more of uh, Sir Barristan the Bold, you got to go through the books. A great way to experience the books is through Audible service. Uh, again, they got 185,000 other unabridged audio works. If uh, Game of Thrones doesn't float your boat or if you've owned them all, it's all WhisperSync compatible so you can synchronize between your Kindle and uh, your your Audible account seamlessly. It's really awesome service that I personally use and I thank Audible for giving us permission to use their audio clips and for supporting our podcast. So if all that sounds good to you, go to audiblepodcast.com slash GOT to get your free trial and your free audiobook. Do you want to get into feedback now? Let's do it. Feedback. Matthew K says, how exactly do you think some... Act if they ever discover direct evidence that Cersei is having an illicit affair with her brothers and her kids are not in fact Baratheons. They seem to not be taking kindly to things they perceive to be sins. As we've seen in the previous episodes, this is something that's heavily rumored among the people of King's Landing, talking about the incest births. I get the impression Cersei is not thinking through the implications of her actions, and blowback will likely fall on her and her family. I think the season could end with Cersei being thrown in jail by the faith militant. Jim, your thoughts? Sure. I, I would totally buy that, uh, especially if um, Marjorie gets her hands on that info. Does she have her hands on that info? Does she know? Okay. I I don't. I, I'm not going to say one way or another. <laughs> Okay. But we know that Lady Olena was somehow involved with the plot to kill Joffrey, mm-hmm. which Littlefinger was ultimately responsible for. Littlefinger knows they're bastards, yeah. if nothing else, because Ned Stark told him in season one before mm-hmm. he was seized. So sh- I would say that that information is accessible. Okay. Now, has she known? I don't know. That's, but That's appropriately cryptic. All right. Well, thank you. I'm doing my job. <laughs> Uh, Ward J says, I don't know if it's his accent or that he constantly sounds like he's chewing food when he talks, but I had a hard time following Littlefinger's tale of Robert Baratheon. Ned's sister and the Mad King, can you shed some light on that in the next podcast and give us a non-spoiler summary of that scene? All right, a little bit of history lesson. So the previous king to Robert Baratheon was the Mad King Eris, and he's the one that uh, was very cruel and he kind of went crazy in the end. Uh, One of the things that led directly to the Robert Rebellion was there's attorney at Harrenhal, which is the giant ruined castle that Littlefinger eventually inherited and that uh, the Lannisters are shacking up in season two. And, uh, you know, like we've seen a lot of tourneys, there's like this queen of beauty that's crowned at the end by the champion. And okay. it's usually traditionally done with, you know, you, you do it to your sweetheart. Or like if you're married or engaged, you'd give it to her. Uh, like Loras gave it to Sansa because what's he going to do? Give it to Rinley? That wouldn't work. So he no. just just found the convenient beard in the uh, audience and gave it to her. So at this, you know, Prince Rhaegar Targaryen, which is the son of King Aerys, uh, was, it came down to him and Barristan Selmy. And uh, Rhaegar won the tournament and he took the, uh, the, the, the award for the Queen of Beauty, which is this wreath of roses, these blue winter roses. And he rode past his wife, uh, Elia, which is Oberyn's sister, uh, who he had two children with and laid it in Lyanna Stark's lap, which is the sister of uh, Ned and who Robert was always in in, in love with. It, he visited her grave in season one, and then Sansa visited her last season. Mm. And 
when that happened, Rhaegar then, the story goes, kidnaps Lyanna sometime later and takes her off and, you know, down into this this place called the Tower of Joy. And the Starks go to demand justice from the king, and the king has the Stark family executed, uh, his uh, Ned's older brother and father. And then Ned and Robert, who were with John Aaron in the Erie, uh, king Aerys sent for their heads too. said, give me the Baratheon and Stark so I can put an end to all this. And John's like, fuck that. And called the banners and there is then the rebellion. So, okay. you know, so that started it all that started, started this whole story. We're, we're seeing that was, yeah, that's probably the proximate event of cause of all of the woe that, that, that as we've gone under now, what was interesting was that, when uh, Sansa recounted a popular tale of, you know, Rhaegar making off and kidnapping and raping her aunt, Littlefinger kind of gave her a raised eyebrow. Um, hmm. Like what, you know, is, is that is that necessarily the true story? Or is that true from everybody's point of view? Which was kind of interesting, mildly interesting. Okay. But what does that mean for the the story as a whole? Good question. I don't know. Anyway, so there you go. There's your history lesson, Ward. Uh, Jordan P. said, Jordan of House Padera here. Just listened to the full cast of Sons of the Harpy. I thought it was a great review. That being said, I feel like there's not enough mention about Barristan the goddamn bold fucking up the Sons of the Harpy. There wasn't enough of him. I watched the episode twice and counted how many people it took to bring him down. Barristan the motherfucking <laughs> Selmy, former Lord Commander of the Kingsguard and all-around badass, killed 15 hoodlums of the lame-ass Harpy while wearing no armor and probably having arthritis. I thought it was a great scene to show us his badassery. And 15? He counted. Do you have numbers that refute? I'm, I'm skeptical of that count. I don't, there were barely I don't know. 15 he in that was, hallway. And he was wrecking house, okay. and it was by that point, was. it was just basically him. So. I mean, I'll go with the number 15. That's a lot of dudes. It's a lot of dudes. To kill, yeah. A lot of, a lot of dudes. He, was, he, he went out, went out uh, kind of on top. Yeah, I mean that was the one and only time we got to see that. But one know. of the reasons I didn't like make a bigger deal out of it is because I was kind of laboring when we recorded it under the impression that maybe he lived. Yeah. So <laughs> fuck me, I guess. <laughs> he could always come back and go on a rampage. Yeah, though you know, yeah. uh, Danny will have her, her resurrected, maester, whatever. Yeah, yeah, she'll get to her her Kyburn out there to cackle yep. and and uh, do experiments <laughs> and. We'll have uh, a black, an undead black knight and an undead white knight. Yeah. Mike McSee, a major plot point in season five is Jamie's attempt to rescue Marcella from House Martell and Dorne. If memory serves, Marcella is mainly in Dorne because Tyrion wanted to expose his enemy in the small council back in season two. He told Lord Varys about his plan to marry Marcella to Theon, Greyjoy, told Littlefinger about his plan to marry her to Robert Aaron, a.k.a. the Little Nursing Lord, and Grand Maester Pycelle about marrying her off to one of the Martells. Did this major plot point really hinge on who squealed first, or did Tarion plan on sending her to Dorne all along? The Dorne storyline is definitely more interesting, considering the Martell's hatred of the Lannisters, but it's hard for me to wrap my head around the idea that all this came down to chance. Nah. What do you think? Do you it think... doesn't sound like Littlefinger at all. I think he had a plan. This is Tyrion's and he was... plan. <clears throat> oh, sorry, yeah. Um, that doesn't sound like Tyrion either. Okay. <laughs> Leaving things to chance. Um, no, I, I definitely think, you know, if, if that was in fact what he was going to do. I think he just, you know, he told everybody a different thing to reveal the traitor and, uh, he planned to send her to Dorne all along. But the weird thing is, especially with Meister Pycelle, he told this in the context of like, send a Raven. So 
are we to believe that Tyrion sent out false communications to all these people? Yep. And like and the then, Greyjoys are like, woohoo, we get <laughs> we, we get Marcella. We get princess, all right. I mean or did or did he only he tell I don't know. I mean they had a, a feast ready to go and everything. Yeah, you right. Know? And then Theon didn't show up and they canceled the whole yeah. thing. That's the yeah. you know for due to lack of penis. But I I don't know because it feels like there is a bit of a plot hole there. Hmm. Um but also it was so vague and quick that we don't know exactly. You know, maybe he didn't tell them to send a raven. Maybe he just told them into confidence. I mean, I, I think we saw that, though. So that's and it could be that he also 90 percent sure that it was Master Pycelle. Yeah, I hmm. I don't know. But yeah, the great and, and I didn't, the other thing is like the Greyjoys had kind of declared a king at that point, I believe. But yeah, send it to the errands. I mean, that's really risking pissing them off to promise them a princess and then like, yoink. Sorry, you're yeah. just a canary in my canary trap. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't have a good, a good answer for that, honestly. Moving on, Michael F. Uh, he actually sets us straight about a bunch of different accent things. He goes, Littlefinger accent is not Gillen's natural one, as okay. you can hear in this clip of him speaking. And he gives us a YouTube interview. And really, any interview with him on YouTube will, will show. In this show, he speaks like a Dark Knight version of himself playing up a devious character. And that's a really great example because... I do think Littlefinger's accent is recognizably him. It's just he's really tightening down those vocal cords to give it that kind of huh, gravelly, okay. schemey quality to it. Gotcha. Uh, he says his actual accent is middle-class Dublin one. It's a much softer accent than other Irish ones and more anglicized as a result of Dublin being the British base of power during their centuries of occupation. Hmm. Uh, Tom H. Actu- and this guy uh, went on and sent a bunch of more stuff about accents, which I thought was really interesting, but we don't have time to, to look at it at all. Tom H. also sent down a very incredible breakdown of all the English accents and how they map on the Westeros. Oof. Oh, okay, specifically Westeros. So what I think I'm going to do is take those takes and post them into our forums so people can read and comment, because I know we got a lot of yeah. international fans, and I thought it was super interesting. Sounds like it. You know, and like we think of like there's just one English, you got English and Cockney or... Uh, but there, there are like thousands. It's just like English. I mean, it's just like American here in America. Like yeah. Louisiana and Texas and Kentucky and Indiana and California. Sure, but that's like all, all are spread different. out. Like yeah. you take that and you condense it down to the size of England. That is weird. And you still have the same number of sure. accents. It's it, yeah. Like different neighborhoods will have different accents. But that's accents. what you get when like, you know, they were kind of their own countries. Yeah. The UK all is right. a United Kingdom. Like people don't that's Scotland, that's Ireland, that's Wales. Like all yeah, these places. I mean, I'm, that, I'm specifically talking about England, but yeah. but yeah, I mean then you go to Ireland and Scotland. Plus and, Texas is its own country. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I think it's in the constitution. Sometimes I wish it was, yeah. I'm, I think it's like a it's a it's the constructicon of states. It's like an at any time split and form into six <laughs> sovereign countries. Yep. And Arkansas forms the head. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, thank you for that. I will post that in the forums for people to peruse and uh, add to because I think it's super interesting. Sam H. was mildly interested in our discussion of the Miran- Miranese pyramids and the amount of time characters must need to climb up and down the steps. Yeah. He says you don't consider the likelihood that they use elevators, though, like at the wall. I realize. I suppose they could, yeah. I they, Yeah. I mean, the wall is 700 Who's fucking feet high. Who's pulling that fucking elevator, for- though, man? Slaves. <laughs> Wait, they they abolished the slaves. Well, now now they're just paid. Now they're paid. Okay. Yeah, they just you, right. you 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 just now showing you actually clock in. You get a, a you get paid in elevator rides though. That's sad. <laughs> the you sad can redeem them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A day's wage is a a <laughs> uh, a single trip 
up uh-huh. or down that you can take. <laughs> anyway, thanks for pointing that out. Yes, you're right. They do have that kind of tech. Or you could use animals. Sure. Dragons. Yeah. There's dragons. All right. It's dragon powered. Uh, Tim wants to jump right in, and he has a problem with all these theories about Sansa taking vengeance on the Boltons, Gone Girl, or Kill Bill style. It'd be far too positive a result for the series. He's basically arguing <laughs> okay. with uh, Martin the fucker yep. uh, angle. Basically, your little finger is too smart to be relying on Sansa, a rookie schemer, as a crux or linchpin of his plan. There's also a 0% chance he isn't aware of Ramsay's reputation. Here's my theory on what Littlefinger's actual plan is. One, marry Lysa Aaron, kill her, and convince her niece, the last knowing, known living Stark, to join forces with you. You are now Lord of the Vale. Check. Done. Mm-hmm. Arrange marriage between Sansa Stark and Roose Bolton's now legitimized bastard Ramsay. Done. Done. Arrive in Winterfell, Sansa showing everyone that you're her uncle and she's totally cool with you. Done. Have to coincidentally leave just before the wedding. Done. Bank on the well-known brutal nature of Ramsay Bolton to manifest itself with him brutalizing, raping, and or killing Sansa Stark on the wedding night. The Stark loyalists in the North who still remember will finally snap and go full-out rebellion on the Boltons. In progress. Return with a larger contingent of troops from the Vale just in time to help Stannis and all the loyal Northerners take back Winterfell and kill the Boltons. Also in progress. The people at Winterfell remember you and love you for taking vengeance in the name of Sansa and the Starks. Pledge fealty to Stannis Baratheon and by popular demand and technically by being the closest living relative to a Stark as an uncle through marriage, be named Warden of the North. Also in progress. Question, question, question mark. Profit. Uh, he gets the feeling that things won't exactly go to Littlefinger's plan this time, but I feel pretty confident this is his long con. How do you read? Is that Does that track for you? I mean, I suppose if... Yeah, if Littlefinger is in fact lying, um, I, I don't know. The thing are his throws, lips moving? The th- <laughs> the thing that throws the monkey wrench in is that I do believe he loved Catelyn, mm-hmm. and for him to do that to Catelyn's daughter would be a little bit of a leap for me. Um, to to just use her as a dispensable, yeah, but piece of his when, puzzle. When a guy like Littlefinger says he loves something, I don't think it's love like in the sense that you feel. For the people you care about, I think it's what like, do you think it is? It's a almost obsession and a possession type of thing. Okay, because mm. if you know, like, if I really love, you know, so but you, so you're saying he would do things to hurt the people he loves, like maybe. Do you think full on mouth kissing would? I mean, the cat would be cool with that, Sansa. I that broken English sentence I use, but you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, she's dead. Um, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Uh, it, no pain I, anymore, Cat. I, okay, Go to I, the light. I agree that she. I, I think Sansa is a weird proxy for Catelyn, and I believe I that agree. he loved Catelyn. So, but I'm saying is like I don't basing, know that he would just sacrifice her to his grand plan to become warden of the. But that was my point. Ba- ba- saying that he loves Sansa, and then basing your uh, analysis of his thought process based on that, you have to. Or at least realize that his concept of loving Sansa then that's and not Kat love. is not. I mean, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, I don't. I think you're. But mis- even if he's I- possessive, like, let's say that his love is a jealous, possessive thing. Killing Sansa doesn't factor into that. That's not even his definition of love. If it's her, the Iron Throne, then he loves the Iron Throne more than he loves Sansa. That's go. for sure. Or Catelyn. That's what I'm saying. Like. When I say someone loves, like, you know... And then I would the argue that he doesn't thing. love, and, and that yeah, yeah. he knows he doesn't. Right. So he would be... I, I don't know. It's 
it's a good question I mean, I because think Littlefinger loves, is so duplicitous. He loves her the, so... the way Tony Montana loved Michelle Pfeiffer and cocaine. Oh, my God. Okay. What does that even mean, man? Uh-huh. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, great. Great. You're still crazy and power hungry. I don't know. So that's – I also believe that Sansa is probably more valuable to him alive than dead. I kind of buy that. I mean, it's like once she's dead, you can't use her anymore. So if your plan doesn't work out – you're done. And I know I know Littlefinger likes to gamble, mm-hmm. and he likes to put it on the line, so maybe that's a possibility, but I still feel like if I were Littlefinger, I'd be thinking she is way more valuable alive getting people to rally behind her than me. I want to throw something out there as an original theory of mine. Sansa's got this interesting spike at the end of that, like, choker chain collar she's wearing. Okay. She's fiddling with it a lot, like, holding right. in her hand, like... I think that whatever happens at Winterfell, that spike is going to be stuck someplace interesting into a Bolton <laughs> oh boy. or a Greyjoy, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's going to be significant. It's Chekhov's fashion spike. Necklaces are dangerous in this I'm world. Tell, and that's, she's already killed a necklace before. That's, <laughs> I didn't even think of that angle, Jim Jones. Dangerous. Very dangerous. Yeah. I wish you were a book reader, because we could like make theories all day long. It'd be awesome. <laughs> Uh, anyway, that's what Friday's show is all about. Let's move on to Laura McPee. I fear for Stannis. His regal right out of the wall, his touching father-daughter scene last week, his overall perceptive and decision-making skills make him prime fodder for a kill-off before the end of the season. <laughs> this is all true, Jim. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, sure. I'm a little scared that Roos knows he's coming and that Roos is preparing. Eventually, there's like as little as two and a maximum of three, maybe four seasons left. At some point, the good guys have to start winning unless what is Martin playing at? I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. That's the thing. Is this universe the the dream of spring or is it the dream of spring? You know? Sure. Ephraim MR said, when Ramsey said the North remembers while they're at dinner, I got worried that the lady who offered to help Sansa is in fact a spy for Ramsey. I'm not sure if that expression is common in the North like winter is coming or if the writers are giving us a foreshadowing of things to come. That is interesting, is it not? Because it's something Ramsey's done before. Winter is coming. Yeah, mm. he says the North remembers, which is we've only heard Stark loyalists say before. And I, I will say that, you know, the Bolton house words are our, our knives are sharp, our blades are sharp. The Stark's words are winter. That's not like a northern saying. That's a, a that's a family familial saying. Sure. What do you think about this? Is some of these uh, people. Is this actually going to be a a candle that tells Ramsay that Sansa is disloyal? Mm, I I imagine Ramsay's got to know she's disloyal already, right? I yeah. I mean, I was kind of shocked the way he treated her at the dinner table. Honestly, okay. Haven't uh, seen a dinner he, that m- more I suppose that uncomfortable be. since the Whites broke bed bread with the Pinkmans and Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty uncomfortable. That's pretty uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it could be. I don't. I don't know how to read it. All right, I, I really don't know. Fair point. Um, but it's an interesting possibility. Mm-hmm. Eric J said, "I don't know about you guys, but I can't stand Danny's character arc. It's more of a character flatline. It's annoyed me at n- to no end last season when every moment they could have been uh, that could have been a learning moment for her or some kind of struggle turned into her ignoring all counsel because she always ended up knowing best. She was too damn perfect." This season is such a breath of fresh air because her actions finally had real consequences. Then in this episode, it all gets thrown out the window when during her lowest moment, Miss Sandy reminds her that she's flawless. 
and that she could, should never doubt herself. What do you guys think? Is there any hope left that Daenerys could actually become something interesting? This is my chief fear, man. Like, I, I feel like we've talked about this but, significantly. I do. Like, at what point do the show readers, show watchers, and book readers snap and be like, you know what? Fuck this, Danny. She's been in Slaver's Bay for years now, and there's no sign of let up. What the hell? Yeah, that could happen pretty soon. I don't know. I'm excited to see the fighting pits reopen. I think that's going to change the tide somehow. Yeah. Um, for the good or the bad, I don't know. Yeah. This, this whole Hisdar thing is confusing the situation a, a great deal. Right. But we'll see. <laughs> and Danny's, yeah, I mean, yes, she has got three dragons and a horde of uh, elite troops and a hundred ships. She's got the makings of being interesting at any one time. Yeah. What I think is the super interesting thing about her is I just don't know whether she's going to be the hero or live long enough to become the villain to, to keep the dark Knight uh, memes going. All right, let's move on to Matt B said, watching Melisandre look at Jon Snow as she was leaving with Stannis had my spidey sense tingling. Do you remember a few episodes ago when Varys and Tyrion stopped and listened to the red priestess talk to the crowd? That red priestess claimed that the savior was the mother of dragons. First of her name, titles, titles, titles. Yet across the sea, Melisandre believes that Stannis is the savior. Question is, does Melisandre really believe this? I feel Melisandre's working to destabilize Westeros to make room for the true savior, Danny. Hmm. She's on Team Varys, essentially. Melisandre occupies the best military commander and slowly bleeds his forces dry, which will make Westeros ripe for the picking. It seems that if she is truly interested in bringing other people to the Lord of the Light, she would have brought along Beric Dondarrion for the roadshow. It would be a pretty convincing trick if you had a guy who could come back from the dead to prove your god's might. So, is Melisandre more than she seems? Is she working directly? Is she the Stannis version of Varys in, in uh, King's Landing? Hmm. Doing her part to destabilize the realm. I certainly think she's more than she seems. Um, we haven't seen her actual plan yet, in my opinion. It could could potentially be to help Danny out, but I'm I don't know. That's so far away. And and those tracks haven't been laid yet. You okay. know, I, I haven't seen any indication that Melisandre is concerned with Danny whatsoever. So I'm not prepared to make that leap, but I'm also not prepared to say it couldn't happen. All right. That couldn't be what she's getting at. Moving on, Dominic says he'd like to hear our opinion on the scene in uh, of Roos and Ramsey in the context of Roos playing Ramsey for a fool. The revelation of a trueborn heir coupled with Ramsey's origin story seemed to me to act as an underlying motivation for proving one's continued worth. Roos seems to be manipulating Ramsay by giving him the old you're my son speech, not unlike what we've seen between Tywin and Tyrion in past seasons. If you agree with that take, where do you see this is going? It's pretty fun to see where Ramsay gets that skill to push people from, but personally, I'd be happy to see him go, even at the hands, literal figurative, of his own father as a counterpoint to Tywin and Tyrion. What do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm all for Roos using Ramsay as a uh, a patsy of some sort. I mean, this is kind of like, I just like an echo, copy and paste all the comments I put on Littlefinger. Roos loves his son. Uh-huh. Clearly, Ramsay has not, you know, we think of Roos as a more noble, as a more smarter character. He could just be older because Ramsay's origin story is, uh, yeah, I killed your father and raped your mother under his corpse. <laughs> so. Yeah, not a happy child. When Roos says, I love you as my son, what does that even mean? I know okay. it means something to him. But is he ever going to risk his own ruin to save his son? Like I would expect, like Ned Stark, 
clearly risked his honor and his life to yeah. spare his children, and it didn't even work. So yeah. I don't think Ramsey or Roos does the same thing. I mean, there's also, you know, part of that equation is the new child. If, in fact, that is a boy. If, in fact, she's even pregnant. I'm not certain of that. Um, that's that's another factor that you have to consider when you talk about Ramsey being his son, you know? If he has a new son, one who is, you know, the rightful heir in his mind, yeah, uh, that may be a problem for Ramsey. Uh, let me move on to Matt B's comment, and I'm going to paraphrase it because we've gone, we've we've talked a lot about this before, especially in the preseason cast. But essentially, things are moving much faster. The remixes are getting tighter. Uh, coincidentally, and and also we as fans are maybe for the first time since season two at the Where Are My Dragons arc, getting a little restless with the show. Yeah, and coincidentally, we're we're arriving to point in the plots where we're going from detailed books that the double D's can follow to bullet points. And his his essential question is, are these guys master at adaptation material? And then when they have to start writing more of their own, are they the BASF of writers? Like, they don't make the story. They make the story better. When they go to a point where there's no story, there's just a couple of plot points, are they going to have a tougher time? Is this going to feel less and less like Game of Thrones and more and more rushed and nonsensical? Uh, I'm curious what you think as a book reader on that, but what have the double D's done before this? Nothing. I mean, like, I'm sure that's not literally true, but this was a big break. Have they haven't been showrunners on anything else? Or? I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm talking out of ignorance here. Cause I watched the, the showrunners documentary on Netflix. It's yeah. up there right now. It's really good. You should watch it if you're at all interested in how television's made. Uh, I mean, showrunners are a driving force, but you got to think it's, it's about writers as well. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just like the double D sit down and go, all right, here's exactly what every character is going to say in every scene, and we're doing all the writing. Oh, it looks like they've actually done a lot of genre work. Like uh, uh, D.B. Weiss, Daniel Weiss uh, tried to get Ender's Game off the ground like 10 years before it was made. He tried to get <laughs> an adaptation for Halo going. Uh, he worked on a script for a prequel to I Am Legend, and then him and uh, David Benioff got together, who was the writer of Troy. Uh, to take uh, tackle Game of Thrones for HBO. So, I mean, what I'm getting at is you you can't just pin it on those guys, right? You got to say, okay, the whole writing team has experience with this adaptation stuff. Yeah, are they going to be any good at writing uh, kind of free form? No, I mean it's an open question of whether Martin can even finish this thing in a satisfying way. Yeah, I mean he hasn't yet, and no. the last two books are. If the next two books are turds, I I think there's a lot of fans that are rating the last two books highly than they deserve because they assume that all this build up and, and board setting and world building is going to end up in something epic. If it turns yeah. out that, you know, Martin doesn't make it to the finish line or he delivers on something that is less than his best, that that is going to, I can see a lot of people like, well, we should have known feast and dragon was boring, stupid shit too. Yeah. Retconning their opinion. <laughs> I and I think that's valid because you are you're, yeah. But from what you've told me, those the books we're going into, the books that season five has yeah uh, marched into are kind of the boring ones, the They're ones where ex- you're like, I'm not sure everybody's going to like this stuff. Well, that's the thing. Like, yeah, I think that my that was my initial reaction. They are less accessible for sure. But they're also really deep, and they reward multiple mm. reads of like, you know, what is Danny up to, and all, and and what is going on with John, and they're starting to lay treads, the, the tracks to something that's epic. Yeah, but that's not the same as 
it actually getting there. If it turns out that it's 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 people see that the end result is is dumb, you know, or not epic, then I think you're going to look back and be like, wow, look 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 at all this and look at all this, and it went nowhere. I mean, to the extent that this series pays off, that's it's going to make or break Martin. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I just look at season four like if you take season four in context, um, season four was just balls to the wall it was awesome the whole time but there was a lot of setup getting to those moments you know i mean joffrey had been set up for a long ass time but that setup was awesome too involved the beheading of ned a a war at king's landing that's true yeah a red wedding i mean there was a lot of it felt like they knocked down so much in season four that maybe season five has to be about rebuilding the season and that's what one of one of his other points was in retrospect do we look back at season four and be like man i wonder if they wish they had pushed this Oberon deal, like the episode the three, yeah. so that they they had some more, they could pay, space out the epic moments a little bit more and lay or some like of this. Or like push the battle at the wall to yeah. the, in, the beginning of this season. The thing is, is like, I don't know. I think narratively it made sense that that stuff, like the wildling threat and the Oberon promise was dealt with before a new season started. It felt right. But it but does. it doesn't leave you as much, you yeah, know? yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see what what I personally think about it when we get back to uh, the end of the season because I'm I'm with you. This is starting to feel like wheel spinning. Mm-hmm. In Again, some there was a lot. There was a lot of that criticism of season two, and then you know Blackwater rolled around, and everybody's like, nope, totally forgiven. Yeah. So, but I mean, if the wheel spinning. Turns out to be, you know, the beginning of an epic burnout with clouds of smoke going everywhere. Sure. I'll be like, yeah, 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 awesome. That was totally worth the four seconds of wheel spinning. Right on. <laughs> uh, Steve W says, I know it's been an awful long time since Benjen Stark has come up in Game of Thrones, but I'm starting to think that maybe you'll be resurfacing Who? in the near future. Who? Wait a second. Benjen Benten Spark. <laughs> <laughs> Benjen was the uncle of John, who was the first ranger of the Night's Watch, who went out in season one and was never seen from again. That's okay. the reason right. the brothers went ranging in the north to find out what the hell happened to him. Ah, gotcha. They didn't. So he's been in the north of the wall since season one. It's hard to believe he's been surviving as a lone wolf the entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this leads me to le- believe that he could be living with the 80,000 wildlings that John wants to recruit, hmm. perhaps as a prisoner, perhaps as an undercover agent. Perhaps he has had a mad Mance Raider-esque change in ideology. Either way, I think it could be a very interesting dynamic when John huh. Tormund and company arrive. So what I think All is right. funny about this is Benjen Stark is a joke among book readers. Like, I bet. It's, a, it's kind of like the uh, aristocrats joke. It's like, what's the most ridiculous thing you can imagine Benjen Stark? Or is Benjen <laughs> okay. Dario? Is Benjen secretly Stannis? Is Benjen... Theo White Walker. And, and, can, and how much text from the book can you mine? I mean, that's the essential, like, the lowest form of tinfoil is to just jokingly say okay. that everybody is in everybody else in disguise. Yeah. So all that said, I think Benjen's dead. I think he just died would it be cool to you murdered up there if this scenario came true like would it be cool if oh he had joined up with the wildlings and that somehow plays into john's plot possibly as he goes north i think it could work i mean i mean i i'm not a hater in fact until i got into feast and dance i was kind of uh a fan of thinking that benjen would would have more to do but like after five books (laughs) and you know uh he kept not showing up you start thinking like, okay, well, 
Like he's one of those characters that bleeds over from like before the story into like the first few chapters of the story. He's the Tom Bombadil of Game Game of Thrones. Okay, like, yeah, that's a know? good comparison. Yeah, it's like he seems like he should be super important, <laughs> but then hell, he's hardly even in, he's not even in the movies. So, uh-huh. uh, yeah, I, I, you know, and again, we're going beyond the books in, in this season and in a lot of these plot lines. So, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that that's my my view uh, of of uh, of things. Sean B wants Sean to talk- Bean. Sean B. No, 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 no. Sean B. No, if he did, he, he get halfway through the email and be killed. <laughs> I mostly want to talk about the lack of progression in Marine during the last two seasons and what I'm calling the Barristan brushover. Let it be known that I cannot stand Daenerys in both the books or the show, so of course I am biased. However, there are several valid reasons I am not impressed with what's going on. First, the de- demonization of the de- Unsullied. When you show up to his city with several thousand legendary soldiers, you freak out, right? Well, where the hell are the double D's putting these men into situations where they're going to be slaughtered easily and in mass numbers? Also, why wouldn't a man like Barristan or Dario pull Daenerys and Grey Worm aside and talk to them about not using spears in close quarters? If you think I'm arguing semantics, go grab a broom handle and a trash trash lid and go one-on-one in a hallway against a guy with a knife and tell me what happens. Oh, no, I buy that. Sure. Well, the, the hallway would be super clean with yeah. all the, you know, the, the broom <laughs> and the trash lid. Uh-huh. That's, that's one thing that would happen. Leading to a second point, the Barristan brushover. The ending with Grey Worm, Grey Worm and Barristan lying next to one another haunted me before it could actually be confirmed that Mr. Bold was indeed dead. The fact that the Barristan is dead doesn't bother me. It's just how they went about it during the next episode. Danny has really yet to act human since the first season, and it's time. this time is no different. One of your best friends and loyal advisors, a man who crossed the sea to serve you, and you don't shed tears? You don't get red in your cheeks? No? You don't quiver your voice to show an internal struggle to hide your pain from those around you. No, you just say how good of a man he was with the same blank doe eyed stare to the distance and then bam dragons. No, come on. You get pissed and you round up the leaders and kill them all. That's yeah. what you do. That's what Danny does. Yeah. It's not like she just went about her business. I don't think I, I don't think it would work if she just started wailing. She, I, man, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I just don't agree with, the characterization of Danny. I think she is feeling it. It's just manifesting in a way that you don't like, I guess. Well, also I think that the more affection you feel towards Barristan and the more you feel like he got ripped off of uh, a more epic story, sure. the more you're going to yeah. be like, fuck Danny. And the less and... you like Danny in the first place. Yeah. That's, okay. Yeah. I get why you're saying that. I just don't, I don't believe that that's the case. All right. Uh, what do you think about this? His next point. Why isn't Daenerys scavenging the world for information on dragons? There have to be maesters in Essos, and you cannot tell me Daenerys hasn't yeah. freed at least a couple. You'd think that at any moment where you can't control your dragons, you'd find the best maester money and reputation can buy and have them start scourging or scouring every library and ancient text known to man so you can learn how your ancestors rode dragons. Hell, send Dario to do it. Send something, Sam to do it. Something other than just sit around watching your turn. Well... You know, it is a tough thing being alone, uh, a lone Targaryen in the world, Gemstone. Okay, okay. The plight of I mean, she doesn't know about Eris and Sam and all that over there. No, but she she's not making an effort to figure out her dragons, right? And Essos, like she's locked them away. Essos is the land of the Valerians, where the Targaryens hailed from. It's the home of the dragons. You would think you would think you could find some info. There would be tons of lore, and I get it. You can't. Valeria was destroyed. 
but she can't send scouts out. Like she can't send expeditionary forces. This. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with the emailer on this point. Yeah, I, would, I thought that more. would be an interesting plot point and give her something to do rather than fucking propose married and open slave. Bits. She should test this fucking fire business while she's at it. Put her hand on a candle or something. <laughs> you want her to you want her to be fireproof. I do. All I right, do. We'll see. Uh, why would you reveal the fact that dragons are chained to the enemy that is actively trying to overthrow you? Hmm. That was a kind of interesting point, too. Because you know you're going to marry him later on? <laughs> no, I, that's, that's a fair question, yeah. I mean, one of them's flying free, these others I can't control, but I can feed you to. I mean, eh, hmm. that's a weakness. I don't know if I agree with that, too. Anyway, um, yeah, like I said, I, I'll, I'll score you like three for four on your points there, Sean, but I understand where your heart's at with Danny. Let's move on to Dan from Manchester. He says, unfortunately, I struggled to come up with a name for my bald and chain second season, but I'm hoping for inspiration in the next episode. Uh, so this is, again, his joke about the Varys and Tyrion being like an old gay couple, and, mm-hmm. and that, that show was canceled, and they recast Tyrion with Jorah for season two. Couldn't come up with the name. He suggests for season two the name of uh, Full Head of Bear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. It works on so many angles. Yeah, it's the reversal. So many levels. The, sure, I like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I like it too. Good, good work there, Dan. Did anyone else think Ramsey's going to make Theon smoke his pipe when he ordered him on his knees? I was genuinely worried for a moment that this would help boost Aaron's slong to boob ratio. <laughs> and I think we found the origin of the fat joke when Ramsey slammed his dad with two classic ones: the "How can you tell she's pregnant?" and "How do you find the hole?" Yep. Ramsey, as always, is an asshole. Body shaming is the least of his sins. Oh, by far, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bill from Houston. Uh, I think this is last second to last one, maybe. Um, there was talk of all the possible show plot points that might end up going nowhere, and if it would still be enjoyable to watch those segments if you didn't know how the show's in-game worked out. Mm-hmm. An example was mentioned in the movie Valkyrie and how that plots against Hitler that failed still made a, re- a compelling story, rather. I propose another example that supports this concept, and I'm surprised uh, that it wasn't the first thing you guys would say, Indiana Jones. Think about it. Other than returning one of the three magic stones to the Indian village, it can be argued that he didn't do anything in four movies to really alter history. But the stories are still enjoyable watching it. Bill, I don't know what (laughs) movies you watched, but the only reason we're not speaking Hitler and we're speaking America is because of one Henry Henry Indiana Jones Jr. You're right. What the hell, man? Third Reich marching with the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant before them? No bad. No army can be defeated with that. Could also be argued that he led them to the Ark of the Covenant in the first place. I mean, eventually, maybe digging around, they find it, but... And then it it, it, it was retained by the, the American people. Yeah. In a government warehouse. Yep. The land of the, 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 holy, the holiest holies. As close to a museum as he's ever going to get any of those artifacts. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, I mean, other than that, uh, sure, I'll, I'll go with your thoughts. Uh, he also says... I'm very curious about the emphasis lately on grayscale. I wonder what the purpose of the disease will be and why it's so important to the saga. I have a tough mm-hmm. time believing it's just to provide a health scare to the vital characters because this show is about dragons, dark magic, and war. Everyone is in a constant health crisis 24-7 anyway. Sure. I'm thinking about how the ultimate threat of this story is being an army of superhuman undead, and now we get introduced to a possible army of different superhuman beings with a single-minded hostility and dragon-scale skin. Could be setting up a final battle with these two entities. Maybe the realm has set the gray, grayscale loose on the White Walkers, like the governor pulling the prison, 
uh, into the prison with a truck full of walkers. Desperate times type decisions, right? They can't have enough dragon glass to arm a bunch of soldiers to take out thousands of white walkers. Maybe they have to turn to the better of bad options. So, okay. First of all, I think it's just as likely that you'd have a army of super armored grayscale impenetrable skin <laughs> white walkers. That's bad news, yeah. That would be bad news. You could test it though. You could catch a white walker, net one and then net one, sure, do yeah. some experimentation. Uh-huh. Um that I think that would be very cool in a very pulpy type of way, but yeah. also I don't know. I have my thoughts on what they're doing to grayscale, which I will not share. I'll share Friday. But uh, I feel like whatever they're doing with Grayscale, Shirey might actually be a, a decent portion of that. Mm, what if Melisandre Because she's the exception, right? What if she goes to burn Shireen and Shireen is flameproof? <laughs> then I'll tell her to take off her mask and show us that she's actually Daenerys. Then you can then you can you could breed an army of great of Grayscale infused dragon resistant warriors. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, let's just combine all of the magic in Westeros sure. into one super force. And the only thing you need to take over Westeros would be the Ark of the Covenant. And we know it's in a warehouse in Washington, <laughs> D.C. So there you go. Uh, Denise T., I feel... Oh, this is the one about Grey Worm and Masandi. I feel the need to defend the Grey Worm and Masandi relationship just a bit, particularly since in a recent podcast, one host said he didn't care about her favorite Unsullied, while the other host said, fuck Grey Worm. I'm not going to name names. You know who you are. Shame, shame, Jim Jones. On us both. While I was saddened to see the end of the great Barristan the Bold, what affected me the most about the battle scene with the Harpies was the gallant way Baron Barristan and Grey Worm fought with and for each other. It was touching to see how this rainbow of a group in Marine do really care for each other. And for Grey Worm in particular, this group is the only family he's ever known. I can easily imagine that Barristan was a father figure to him. It's a shame we didn't see more of that, honestly. Sure. Uh, that being said, it's completely natural for him to have feelings for Miss Sandy. Again, knowing what we know about how the Enceladus are treated from boyhood, Grey Worm would, of course, be drawn to someone beautiful who treats him with genuine kindness. Is it a romantic relationship? Maternal? Sisterly? We don't know because Grey Worm doesn't even know. This man has zero experience with any matters of the heart. Never known his parents. He doesn't remember his life before becoming unsullied. I feel like it will be Miss Sandy who defines this relationship. She could easily friend zone him or she could not. She could just plan a little kiss on him. I look forward to seeing where this little side story goes. Of course, in Gurm fashion, as soon as there's any happiness, someone must die. So there's that. I thought this was a good counterpoint to my railing against I don't get it. Because, you know, it's... It could be that they're doing something along the lines of that. Danny's got almost like this clone trooper army that you don't really feel like, you know, the reason George Lucas uses stormtroopers and clone troopers and robots is because it's a kid's movie. You don't really feel one thing or another when they're, cause these people are automatons essentially. Mm-hmm. Maybe by humanizing gray worm, we can see that these guys aren't just mindless killers like, you know, we, we can we can see a hint of the life that they could have after this war is done, if they're victorious or not, that they're not just going to be these empty husks, that there's hope for them. Hmm. Okay. I like that. And maybe there is some kind of commentary on, like, soldiers after war and, you know, post-traumatic stress. There's like Because I think there's a lot of commentary on modern events in Game of Thrones, events in the Middle East, events in... Uh, the various wars that this country has participated on, that it's Game of Thrones is shaped by 
modern American foreign policy in the same way that the Lord of the Rings was shaped by World War One and Tolkien's experience with that. Yeah. So I think you can draw some parallels between that and that that would be. I don't know. Like I said, I I don't know that I'm still on your side there, Denise, but that was a really good defense for the storyline. Okay. Final one, Benji. Is it too late to bring back Euro Trash Dario? You guys hit the nail on the head when you liken current Dario to Freddie Prince Jr. He'd be huh? a fine to cast as Rob Stark, but I just can't take him seriously in this role. I hope he doesn't play a large role as the show continues. You liking Dario better, or are you still kind of disappointed? Uh, I'm liking Dario a little bit better. And if he gets involved in some way in this battle and uh, you know, the battle for Marine yeah. as, as it is, uh, I will start to like him even more um, from, you know, it was a pretty abrupt change from Euro trash Dario to Dario Narquillis or Nyquillis as you yep, called him. Sure. Uh, I just, what, what were we talking about Dario? <laughs> what? Yeah. I, I just can't like, I'm, I'm not totally there with Dario yet, but he's done. He's gone a long way in this last season. Yeah, he's better being an advisor and being smoother sure. and being like when he comes to Marine and he takes out their champion, that was kind of cool. There have been little things along the way that have shown me the potential of him, but I feel yeah. like he hasn't lived up to it quite yet. I like Euro Trash. I still stand by what I said in last season that he had a dangerous yeah. quality to him that the new Dario he's talking to talk about like, you know, rounding up people and crushing heads and stuff, but mm-hmm. like the other Dario had that crazy kind of quality to him, a little unhinged that this guy is just too conventionally handsome and posh. Almost. Yeah. yeah and he's got no dirt under these fingernails. No. He doesn't have a crooked no. tooth or a lazy eye. The old uh, it's, he's he's or he lived an interesting life. Nasty dirty braid. There you go. Yeah. All right. Anything else? That's it. That's the last email. Uh you can send us more at Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. You can also get on our forums. And by the way, I I don't know if I've actually announced this, but I took Jim off the mailing list. You don't have to like you yeah, know, be careful. I was so afraid of spoilers. Yeah, so so it's like you can send everything to Game of Thrones. There's not a special spoiler thread. Um, we will be doing a spoiler show like we do every Friday uh, where we'll consider the book readers' points of view and the adventuresome show watchers uh, enter- entertain their questions and talk about a tinfoil theory of the week. That's coming out Friday around noon. Uh, it's not too late to get the email in on that. Again, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. You can also go on our forums Got some rocking discussions on the forums, and we sh- separate those into non-spoiler and spoiler threads for each episode. So it's a lot better than like the Facebook. I discourage everyone from if you're not a book reader, because uh, I'm watching the show and doing the instant cast. I cannot police these threads, mm-hmm. so that's one of the reasons we went to the forums. So you can be protected. On I, I can't guarantee you won't be spoiled, but you can follow our releases like a champ on Facebook.com/slash/BaldMove and Twitter. Uh, at bald move because they're yep. the fastest way. They're like the, the bat signal of the bald move empire. Yep. That all goes up there as soon as they're posted. Yep. So, Boom. Good stuff. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. We're going to be back right after the episode next week. For, Indeed. With the instant cast. So join us then. And until then I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya. <laughs>